Purple, get ready to roll indeed. Welcome to College and Kimball, the K-State fans' respite from an otherwise dark path filled with despair in this walk of life we call conference realignment. So if you've taken a few moments out of your day to break away from that, to join us and go back through time and talk about a past K-State football season, we thank you. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, joined as always by Clint Wilson, Justin Nutter, and Alex Speth. Go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball. You'll find each of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. We're here for any and all engagement with fans, and we appreciate you guys uh, checking in and weighing in on some of these polls we've been putting out over the past couple of days. We'll touch on those a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But just kind of set the stage here. We just talked about the 2015 season. And uh, strangely enough, that episode, despite it being the one of the worst seasons in the Snyder 2.0 era, generated the most daily downloads for us. So thank you guys again for for listening to that. Uh, But now we're getting ready to dive ahead into 2016. So the Wildcats coming off of a six and seven campaign, a a uh, season in which they started 0-6 in Big 12 play, rallied at the end of the year to win their final three conference games and reach that 6-6 uh, and mark to make it to the postseason and extend the bowl streak to six games. They run up against a very tough Arkansas squad, though, in the Liberty Bowl in fall now and in their season at six and seven. So we look forward, though, to the 2016 season. And guys, we'll, we'll kind of set the table here just looking at some of the returning production. Um, not really sure how everyone was feeling going into this year. Again, we, we were coming off of a sub-500 season. We have a, a very senior-heavy offensive line depart at the end of 2015. So we're, we're looking to completely overhaul the offensive line. There are a number of defensive starters back, seven to be exact. Uh, Clint, I'll go ahead and start with you. Where did you feel like this year was trending uh, prior to the season starting? I was really high on this team. There was a lot of dudes on the squad that I consider my guys. Um, towards the end of 2015 with that uh, – Iowa State game, the West Virginia game. There was a few of the younger guys who were really popping. Jordan Willis uh, was really coming on at the end of that year. Duke Shelley looked like a future stud. Uh, Shemikewell Moore was just tearing it apart in that West Virginia game. I thought he was going to be a huge stud. And I was really excited to see what Jesse Ertz could do. Uh, I I was thinking this was going to be a pretty good year. You know, a cautious optimism, I guess, not, you know, the, the fact that we had seen a whopping two snaps out of Jesse Ertz, you know, c- coming into this year. Um, I think, you know, I definitely felt better about the prospect of the season than I did the year before, just based on how, like Clint just said, you know, like how we were able to wrap up 2015. You know, we were able to really turn otherwise a dud of a season into, you know, a bright spot moving forward. So, yeah, obviously I knew it all kind of hinged on how Ertz performed. But, yeah, I definitely felt better at this point than I did a year ago. Yeah, I will say after looking back at 2015 like we did last week, the uh, the the end of the year where we were playing really well and made the bowl game didn't seem as impressive as it did back then. But I didn't realize that in 2016. I was I thought it was a pretty good end of the year. So, um, and then having the guy that won the job the year before back and actually having you know 
a decent quarterback was exciting. And, you know, even if Ertz wasn't maybe who we thought he would be, we had, you know, maybe Delton with, I know he was injured the whole year before, but at least he was in the program for a year. So definitely set up a lot better at running back and excited about some of the other playmakers we had back. No doubt about it. I think some some cautious optimism was how everyone w- was feeling. Uh, again, what I I was a little concerned about that offensive line, but we'll touch on that here momentarily as we dive into the season. But before we do that, I, I did want to take a moment to talk about recruiting. Now, this class uh, not obviously very highly ranked. It's last in the Big Twelve, seventy second overall uh, per twenty four seven. But there are some pretty big names and we're also going to talk about some guys that are actually still going to be on this year's the 2021 edition of Kansas State uh Clint one really big signing in this class came on super late and that was DJ Reed yeah he was a guy who was originally at Fresno State then went to uh Juco and I believe he was supposed to be a player coming out of the 2017 class but he was able to reclassify and um, so he ended up being a really late pickup by K-State. He wasn't ranked by any of the recruiting services. Um, I remember um, some of the recruiting experts were saying that he was a really good pickup, uh, that if he had been um, in the recruiting earlier, that he probably would have been ranked pretty high. A couple other names to throw out there that were in this class. Um, <laughs> uh the ageless Skylar Thompson, looking at his photo, he looks like a baby. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, four-star quarterback. He was a three on uh, on uh, 24-7, but ranked uh, nationally 416th at the QB position and second best overall coming out of the state of Missouri that year. A uh, couple of guys at receiver, uh, Corey Sutton, that was obviously a big name coming out of high school. Uh, and you looked at his measurables, very exciting prospect in that regard. Byron Pringle coming out of Butler. That was a, another big signing as we're looking to kind of fill some holes and actually get some production out of that wide receiver position. You will recall that things were pretty bleak in that uh, that room the year prior with not, not to say that it's all falling on Cody Cook's shoulders, but with him having to shuffle in and out of the wide receiver room and into the quarterback room and and you were pretty lean with a very young Dominic Heath and 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 um, Deontay Burton. Uh, it was just very lean in that grouping. So we were really trying to shore up the wide receiver core. A couple other guys, Abdul Beecham on the offensive line, Nick Lenners at tight end, uh, going down the list here. AJ Parker, another guy who signs on in this class, and. Uh, Blake Lynch uh, and Devin Angtel on on the special teams front, two guys that I think we got quite a bit out of uh, as far as that is concerned at their respective positions. So some nice names that sign in, in, in this class. Um, again, not too many immediate impact guys with the exception of uh, Pringle and Beecham. But even so, we, we, we do go and some of the holes get patched up now and, and we look forward to the 2016 season and this year is going to open up uh, with a pretty tough opponent preseason eighth in the country, the Stanford Cardinal. This is a team coming off of 
a Rose Bowl appearance. They'd actually been to the Rose Bowl three out of the previous four seasons and BCS Bowls five out of the past six seasons. So uh, David Shaw has things humming along in Palo Alto. And I I know we discussed this a little bit prior to recording here, but uh, that, that was a game that was inked pretty late in the process in 2015. And I'll just put it to you guys. And Nutter, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts on that signing, uh, on getting the home and home, or what we anticipated was going to be a home and home with Stanford? Just because, again, as we're going through that 2015 season and things have been kind of bleak and it's not looking like, and it becomes pretty apparent that K-State's not a great team to have to go, to know that you're going to have to go on the road against the top 10 team to start off 2016. uh, That seemed a little bit less than ideal in my book. I didn't know what your thought was on it. Yeah, this is a game where if we're not breaking in a new quarterback or if it's not literally the first game of the year, I'd probably feel a little different. All that said, you know, leading up to that game, I kind of remember thinking like I never thought we were going to win it, but I never felt like they were going to blow us out either. You know, I I was kind of thinking it'd be a game where we'd hang around, we'd hang around. We might make one catastrophic mistake late that would take us out of it. That's not exactly how it shook out. But all that to be said, you know, we had a chance, I think. We had a touchdown to cut it to six, you know, late in the fourth quarter. So it's like we did hold we did hold our own and were, you know, one offensive break away from maybe a different outcome. So, I mean, it kind of went more or less how I thought it would like the result was more or less what I thought it would be. But how we got there wasn't exactly how I thought it would unfold. I wasn't thrilled about it. (laughs) I'll just be very honest. And I remember just thinking that this team we needed to set this group up and get them some confidence and we needed to get back uh, as, and uh, um, the methodology that took a lot of criticisms uh, in the late nineties of, of scheduling wins to bolster confidence. I felt like that's really what this group was going to need. Now, this is also, there's two sides to that coin where even if you do lose this game, you do go up against a very tough opponent earlier in the season and you hope that there will be some lessons learned in that. Um, I always kind of cite that example of the the North Dakota State game a couple of years prior in 2013, where that team had the opportunity late after giving up a touchdown. There wasn't a ton of time left, but you still had the ball late with a chance to get down and try and get into field goal position to even up the game and send it into overtime, but you weren't able to take advantage. But later on that season, when K-State's confronted with that similar situation against TCU, they are able to come through as Jake Waters leads what ultimately ends up a uh, being a game-deciding drive that results in a field goal that pushes K-State over the top and allows them to beat TCU. So I, I was in that camp of like, well, it's on the schedule. It's on a Friday night. It, it is what it is. I don't really care about being the showcase game. That's not going to do much for us. I, I think this group just needs wins, but we'll see what's what here. And, and even if we do show well against a top 10 team, maybe that does bolster the confidence of this group even more as we get into the conference part of the slate. But this game opens up very much the way that I think everybody kind of expected it to. And, and this well, Stanford's at this point, Stanford's really been kind of into turned into running back. You they've got, you know, you had the season of Toby Gerhardt and you had also Christian McCaffrey with his big breakout year the year prior. And he's coming back as, a, as a, one of the big Heisman uh, front runners. So 
you know that's what you're going to have to contend with is, is, to, is a team that's very traditional and conventional in formations, how they attack you, and, and you know you're going to have to stop this this dynamo in the backfield, a very versatile back and McCaffrey who's going to who has the ability to to torch you in the open field if it be it you know in the reception or just taking the ball and, and getting out in space. So you knew that's what you were going to have to go up against. And K-State on the other side of the coin, you have Jesse Ertz leading the offense behind uh, four uh, four brand new starters on the offensive line. So that that wasn't exactly going to be the recipe for success for, for this team. And things do kind of seesaw early on, but Stanford ultimately ends up uh, getting out ahead of Kansas State in this contest. And it's just... It's so frustrating to watch it all unfold because the big problem is that third down defense is uh, really killing K-State in this contest, particularly early on. Right. Um, Obviously, you remember scoring plays and big plays from a game, but looking back at the box score of this one is that's pretty much all uh, Stanford had going for it. They only had 272 yards of offense in this game and... um, I mean, it must, it, like I said, it probably, this is how teams feel when they lose to us and they look at the scoreboard and notice that, uh, you know, they doubled our yardage, but we still beat them. So kind of a weird feeling beyond, being on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we give a big, a big fourth down in the first quarter. They come out in the second quarter and hit a 40 yard touchdown pass and uh, kind of kept us at arm's distance the rest of the way. Our offense wasn't really in sync, couldn't really make the big play to to get back in it. A lot of that uh, defense going well for most of that game was due to Dante Barnett being back. You know, he got injured in 2015, had to miss the entire season. Um, McCaffrey was bottled up for a large portion of this game. And pretty much if you go back and watch the game, you'll see Dante Barnett keeping him in check throughout most of it. Uh, I was at my bachelor party this weekend, so I was pl- pretty obliterated. This is maybe the only game that we lost that I felt the need to go back and rewatch. And uh, just one thing that I remember thinking was, man, for as hyped up as Byron Pringle was this offseason, that connection between him and Jesse Ertz is just not working. I think they... They showed some stat that he was, um, you know, one out of 10 for like 10 or 14 yards on the first uh, 10 pass attempts towards him. Um, You know, Ertz was uh, thought of as a a pro style passer when he first came in, um, but he he clearly didn't have the rhythm going with his receivers yet. Uh, But he was able to make some pretty good passes that one late in the game that touchdown to Zuber was one of the best passes you'll ever see. Yeah, dropped that one in the bucket. It, it was an exceptional throw, but really, K-State unfortunately did themselves in really in the first half of this game. They give up a field goal uh, on essentially Stanford first three possessions, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. Uh, the touch, the second touchdown drive is one in which K-State pins the Cardinal back on their own two, and they end up just killing K-State. They convert on a third and five, they convert on a third and 14, and then uh, they, Ryan Burns, it's Michael Rector for a 40 yard touchdown pass. So you have opportunities to get off the field and you're not able to convert there. offensively. K-State again, just sputters, uh, 
first three possessions, punt, downs, punt. And then uh, right at the end of the first half, they are able to get a field goal to make it 17 to three Stanford with a two touchdown lead. Uh, Joe Hubner comes in to uh, relieve Jesse Ertz in the uh, first drive of the second half. He ends up throwing a pick immediately after coming in. So a lot of of fans, again, who direct all their vitriol at the quarterback and and think that Joe Hubner is the source of all that is horrible and wrong with gay state football. I'm sure they were just armed with all the, with more ammunition that they did not need. So Hubner throws an INT, but K state's defense does force a fumble and Mike Moore ends up scooping it up and takes it deep into Stanford territory. And guys, this, this was kind of a gut punch in Nutter. I don't know how you felt, but Moore just has, you know, a fraction of his foot on the chalk as he's running down the sidelines. And yes, that was the right call that he was out of bounds. But it's one of those if you you think, well, if we get this touchdown, this might swing the game. And I felt like that was one of those plays that really could have swung K-State back into the game. Yeah, that's a pretty textbook linebacker field awareness with the ball. Um you know, that's definitely not – you're not going to see a running back or a receiver do that for sure. Um, and I think what really comes back to bite us in the ass more is, if I remember right, we started that drive because of him stepping on the line. We started that drive around the Stanford 30 and could not punch it in. I think we had to settle for three there. It's like, you know, that that really is what kind of did us in there. You know, um, so there's a four-point swing right there. Um Hard to say, you know, what might happen if that goes in a, if that, you know, if we're able to punch that in like it originally looked like he did. But yeah, that super unfortunate swing of events considering the play that set it up. Unfortunately, as we said, K State has to settle for a field goal, and the offense really does start to find a little bit of its footing. The next, uh, and the defense really rises up in a big way in the second half. Um, Stanford go on their possessions in the second half fumble, punt, 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 punt touchdown and the, and we'll talk about that touchdown here in just a second but K-State's defense they get the field goal to draw to within 17 to 6 in the third quarter and then they put together a really nice drive uh, a very textbook K-State drive they 15 plays they eat up 7 minutes and 31 seconds uh, they get all the way down to the Stanford 24, uh, the deepest uh, they get is the Stanford 24, but Hubner ends up getting sacked, so that sets everything back, and we're forced to uh, take a long, a longer field goal attempt. Matthew McCrane misses that one, so there's another round of points that's left off the field, and and really at this point, it's it's there's a safety that occurs later in that half in the second half where when Jesse Ertz gets sacked in the end zone and K-State's down now 19 to six it's it's looking pretty bleak at this point again the offense is just it's not even a matter of shooting itself in the foot they're just it, it's it's painstaking effort to to put together drives, to string together first downs. It's just really tough. And, and, and the gears just aren't quite churning yet for this group. They do get uh, after that, um, excuse me, after that safety, K-State actually recovers an onside kick on the free kick. So they steal a possession and they go down and score a touchdown. And, and Clint, to your point, probably one of the prettiest connections you'll see that throw to Isaiah Zuber. Uh, 
textbook. I mean, and just dropped it right in the bucket. So great touchdown. Now I'll ask the group here at this point. So as I said, at this point, Stanford has the ball has had the ball five times. They've not done anything with it. And K-State's forced one turnover in those five possessions. Uh, we're looking now with after that touchdown, there's 220 left on the clock. K-State elected to onside it. Would you guys have done the same? Or were you wanting to do the same? Let's see. <laughs> I can't really say um, what my thought process was at the time because I was also with Clint at his bachelor party. And I believe we were not in the bar anymore watching the game at the end. I can't remember. So me watching it, I already knew we lost the game. So I'm sure I would have disagreed with the decision when I watched the game Um later that week so yeah since it didn't work i'm gonna go ahead and say we should have done the other thing yeah i'm pretty sure i was blackout drunk at the time so i only had hindsight on that one so i uh, skipped my 10 year high school reunion say what alex i was gonna say when i think even when we scored the touchdown to cut it to a one score game we were like trying to cram into an uber and figure out where we were going so i don't even i barely remember that so so i skipped my 10-year high school reunion to watch this game and uh, was actually at a bar down in wichita that just coincidentally was hosting a bunch of people i didn't know at their 30-year high school reunion so i was dealing with a bunch of drunk old people i'll say it and uh so i was stone sober i remember everything about this game and um you know, I'm I'm typically more prone to roll. Or I would be more prone to roll the dice on the road. You know, my my, I, I think you, you got to be a little more aggressive in situations like this on the road. So I don't I don't disagree with the decision to onside it there. Come on, <laughs> I thought I don't know. I, th- that was one of those where I just I was thinking to myself, you know, our, our defense has really done everything that we could have asked it to do in the second half. I think with two minutes and change left, we forced Stanford to do something where we if, if you want to make Ryan Burns at quarterback beat you. OK, go ahead and do it, because, you know, while he was somewhat efficient throwing the ball that day, I'm I'm I feel like we had a adjusted pretty well which is something that we didn't say all that often defense especially defensively um i I was in the camp of why aren't we on or why are we kick or excuse me why are we on siding this when we could try and kick it deep let the defense try and decide it but unfortunately k-state elects to do the onside route stanford covers it up and then christian mccaffrey nailing the coffin first play of the ensuing drive goes 41 yards for a touchdown K-State does get the ball back uh, with a little bit more than uh, two minutes left. Uh, They're able to go 33 yards, don't produce any points, though, and that is how the game ends. So pretty frustrating. What (laughs) do you know how many timeouts we had when we when we made the call to onside? I would have to go back and look at that, Netter. You caught me flat-footed here, man. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. That would just be the one variable I don't have where, you know, if we didn't have any, then I'm definitely going to be more prone to do it. We start now 0-1. K-State comes back home. They get a bye week, and then they get to take on Florida Atlantic in the home opener. Uh, there is no sweat at all in this game. K-State 
uh, is the superior team, vastly superior team. They really flex their muscles here and win 63-7. to seven. I remember a nice little slant touchdown pass to Dominic Keith, and, and this is a game where the – you know, just nice to see it like the it reminds you of the old days in the 90s where guys, you know, you're able to roll guys in and this late in the first half and on into the second half where you're able to get second and third team guys in there, get them some snaps. Um, it was just nice to actually see that because it seemed like it had been a while since we had really smoked somebody in the non-con in a home game and were able to do that. Uh, do you guys have any other memories of this game other than just smoking FAU? <laughs> Alex Barnes goes for 73 yards, thinking, okay, maybe this guy can start taking some of these carries, have a little bit more of an athletic back in there. But then we also have Winston Dimmel going for four touchdowns, which, uh, you know, that's kind of a theme of the season. Short Color yardage. Color me surprised. Winston Dimmel. Hmm? Color me surprised. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, obviously he's good at it. He's good at what he does, but that was um, – kind of a controversy with K-State fans because, you know, his dad is the offensive coordinator. He's given him those opportunities. What did you guys think about that? Was it well-deserved or was he taking carries away from a more deserving player? I'll reserve judgment on the whole nepotism argument. I will say, though, when we gave him the ball, he punched it in. So it got the job done. I would say if if he, if he had a different name and we were giving him the ball in those situations, I think we'd all just assume that he excels at it in practice and they trust him to, you know, ball security and get the, the short yards they need. And it's hard to argue with the results. That's what I've always come to. You know, it's not like he was getting stuffed every time and they still just kept feeding him the ball. So I don't know if FAU is the best barometer for that, but um <laughs> Well, no, but it, it, you know, the rest of his career, he was pretty good at what he was doing. So I, um, I could, I, I, I could go out of my way to mention that if you go and look at all the fullbacks going back to Glenn Gronkowski, Braden Wilson, Travis Wilson, Victor Mann, uh, Nick Hoheisel, Brian Goolsby, and if you combine all the touchdowns, I believe it, for, it was for the last. Eight backs and Snyder, uh, fullbacks and Snyder offenses, they would not come close to the overall touchdown count of Winst- that of Winston Dimmel. However, as you, <laughs> you guys did, and Iosaba, who did get quite a few, I- and I was going to say Iosaba, oh, yeah. and that was the one I, I knew I was missing an easy one. Thank you. Um, even with all that consider taken into consideration, yes, he did produce. Um, and I know Clint, to your point, he. Glenn Gronkowski, even the year prior, he was a first team all big 12 fullback in 2014. And then he gets supplanted by Winston Dimmel in 15. And, and I think Dimmel did provide a much better blocking back for the K-State running backs um, just because of his frame. He is a much wider body and he's definitely going to go and truck some people. Uh, Glenn, I don't think there's such a thing as a finesse fullback, which is more kind of in line with what Glenn Gronkowski was a guy that you would, you would flex, you'd put in motion, you wouldn't, but you weren't going to have him running lead block for you all the time. That's something that you could do with Winston Dimmel though. So while it was kind of comical to say that all the goal line touches were not a byproduct of, you know, somebody's dad being the offensive coordinator, Winston Dimmel did produce when given the opportunity. Um, 
I just think like again, I just think it was kind of funny that people that thought that had nothing to do with it at all, uh, just with the amount of touches historically that were given to K-State fullbacks. That's that's the only point I want to make on that there. Uh, <laughs> nevertheless, uh, K-State goes to one and one on the year. Uh, no sweat at all against FAU. Sweating at the stadium for sure. I remember it was hot as hell that day, and it was an early kickoff. Uh, the Cats outgained FAU 495 to 211 plus three on turnovers. They run for over 300 yards, like you said. We start to see lots of guys get some carries. Dalvin Warmack, actually the leading rusher in terms of yards for K-State in this game. I remember this game got me really excited for him uh, just because – uh, again, two-time Simone Award winner, uh, something not even Darren Sproles had done. That That's the award given to the greatest uh, area, KC uh, Metro area high school player. So something that not even Darren Sproles was able to achieve, Warmack was able to achieve. And I was very excited about him and thinking that this might be hopefully a, a to paraphrase the great Mitch Holtis, a prelude of things to come. Uh, unfortunately, we'll, we, we know what happens, unfortunately, with, with Dalvin Warmack and how he's utilized. But I was very excited for him after this game. Um, we look forward to the... Uh, the next contest again, this is another, this is a game that actually gets called early. And I, um, I, I've had very few games like this in my life. I remember my, my wife and I were coming up to Manhattan for the, this uh, game against Missouri state. It was a night game and there was horrible weather. Like, and it, it just been, Kansas has just been getting blown up with lightning and, and there were tornadoes flaring up and I remember driving up and it was extremely dark. Like it, it shouldn't have been dark at this time, but just again, the cloud cover and everything. And I was questioning whether or not we might even be able to, to get this game in. And there were several lengthy delays. And I, against my better judgment, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, let's go up and see what happens. I remember we waited out the delays. We're able to squeeze in one half of football. K-State gets up 35 to nothing after the first half. And then they elect to call it before or they even think about coming out for the second half. Um, something I've not seen before, not seen since. Uh, did anybody else have the privilege of waiting out the lengthy weather delays? Uh, yeah, I actually was at that one as well. Um, oh, Nutter, you made a bad decision like me. <laughs> well, no, it, it's funny you say that. I actually kind of backed into a uh, um, club level, like, you know, the, the indoor club level seating for that game. First and only time I've ever been there, and I got I got a half of a game. So, how's that for being born <laughs> under a bad sign? Oh man, yeah, you're just it just means you're meant to be outside, screaming like the rest of us. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> only other thing I remember about this game is Charles Jones uh, digging a pretty big hole for himself by um, letting go of the ball basically as it uh, crossed like the front of the chalk on the goal line, and they had to review the play. And the touchdown ended up standing, but I remember Bill being pretty pissed about it. That's about the only other memory I have about this game. Other than because it was an official game, they called it and said the stats are official. So uh, for a while in the national standings, we looked like a defensive stalwart because of this game. Because we had only given up, you know, 100 yards maybe in that half. And uh, uh, It was actually, it was 54 yards on 40, uh, excuse me, on... Um, on 29 plays. Yep, there you go. So yeah, look at that yards per play average. We're just smoking fools. But and, and yeah, that was. I was gonna say. I remember uh, defense though. 
I'll ask you guys uh, and Clint and Alex, I'll let you weigh in on this. At this point, it's early enough in the season, and I, I'm pretty encouraged. This this was not like, despite the loss to Stanford, this was not the way I felt after the 3-0 start the year before. I felt like there was, there was some teeth to this defense. Were you guys in that camp? Yes. Um, the Stanford game was a positive as far as, you know, not having expectations. You want to compete in a game like that. But then when it's close and you lose, then you're like, you you know, you can't take the moral victory. But, you know, looking back on it, um, defense was playing well in the Stanford game and in the, the other two games. So, yeah, two and one, but feeling pretty good about the year. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be a great year at this point still, and it, it would be a good year. Um, but, you know, you always want your players to come back from the previous year and, and uh, build on their success and then uh, have new players come in and do good things. And that was happening. You, you had your freshman defensive end, Reggie Walker, who was looking really good. You had Kendall Adams, who was thought of as like this third or fourth uh, safety the previous year who came in and was looking good. DJ Reed, uh, Duke Shelley were doing their thing. We had a lot of really good players and they were playing well. And uh, def- as the saying goes, defense does travel when when and and that w- absolutely ends up being the case in uh, the fourth game of the season as K State opens up conference play, not surprisingly on the road, um, taking on West Virginia. And this is uh, this is a West Virginia squad that comes in rank. Uh, they excuse me, they're not ranked. They're just outside the polls, but they are three and O. And a lot of fans uh, in Morgantown starting to kind of get sour on Dana Holgerson because they've had this really since the year prior uh, to them moving to the Big 12 when they won the Big East they and they blitzed Clemson and dropped 70 on them in the Orange Bowl. West Virginia's taken a pretty significant step back uh, and just you're seeing a lot of eight and fives and seven and sixes and fans are starting to grow again a little a little weary of Dana Holgerson at this point in, in his tenure. Now, West Virginia has opened up in a, in a, with a couple of nice wins. They beat Mizzou 26-11 and they uh, won a neutral site game against BYU. That was a close one. So they're coming in three and oh, they're feeling good about life. Uh, but K-State is really the better team and controls this game for really what feels to be about two and a half to three quarters. They get, they get an early turnover, really a cool play where there's a deflection and Elijah Lee ends up coming up with an interception. Uh, K-State ends up converting that into a Jesse Ertz touchdown to go up seven to nothing. Uh, then later on in the second quarter, K-State gets a field goal from Matt McCrane. They have to settle for one on the 20, uh, excuse me, a 37-yard attempt so they get it down to the 20. And then uh, right before halftime, K-State makes another drive deep into West Virginia territory, and, and this one gets all the way down to the uh, to the 14-yard line. And unfortunately, again, you have to settle for a field goal. So K-State's had two pretty deep drives into WVU uh, into the WVU red zone and unfortunately only comes away with six points on those but again they do have the touchdown early on in the first quarter so we're we're up 13 to nothing at this point um, and and I think everybody is really feeling pretty confident about this uh, game just because also 
Clint, the point we always like to drive home here, West Virginia to this point has not beaten K-State in Big 12 play. K-State has owned, owned this series uh, four games to nothing uh, since the inception of the, the new, at that point in time, the new look Big 12. So feeling pretty good about the Wildcats finding a way to close this one out. Uh, but the ears do get on the board. They open things up a little bit to start off the third quarter, and they end up getting a Josh Lambert field goal. K-State uh, has another deep drive. This one goes all the way down to the five. This was a tough one, uh, and I remember there was a dropped, what was a dropped touchdown pass by Byron Pringle that really probably would have put this one out of reach and made this a 17-point game, but unfortunately, K-State has to settle for a 22-yard Matthew McCrane field goal. So they're up 16 to three going into the fourth quarter and, and it's it, it's tough to say that you felt great about this uh, at this point in the game because West Virginia has started to open things up a little bit offensively they've started to move the ball and the defense has really done all that you could ask for them to do holding West Virginia to three points they had a big first uh, excuse me they forced a big turnover deep in K-State's red zone so if you had stretched this out and you had made this a three-score game, you probably are able to come away with the victory. But K-State left the door open, unfortunately, just enough. And West Virginia takes advantage, and they actually get 14 points uh, in this fourth quarter to go up 17-16. to 16. Now, the Wildcats get an opportunity late to go down and attempt what, what would have ultimately been a a game-winning field goal. Matthew McCrane, who's been extremely reliable today, has connected on all three of his field goal attempts, has an opportunity to give K-State the win, but unfortunately he pushes a field goal and the Wildcats end up coming up short. And the final score, again, ends up being 17-16. to We asked you guys, our listeners here, what you felt was the most frustrating game, and everybody to, to a person pretty much <laughs> picked this one, which was kind of surprising in my book. But I I, I don't know. This wasn't as frustrating to me just because I felt like we, we had all these opportunities, all these possessions where we had these chances to make this a – a three plus score game and you just couldn't take advantage that that was the more frustrating part for me, but the offense was still really struggling to find its footing at this point. So I, I guess I wasn't totally surprised that the door was still left open for West Virginia. Yeah, this is definitely the most frustrating game for me. Number one, just because at this point we beat the crap out of West Virginia. That's just kind of the norm, but also, um, you know, K-State building up a lead and then the offense just completely uh, becoming non-existent and letting the other team crawl back into it would happen several more times over Snyder 2.0. And uh, previously in that TCU game, it's just an extremely frustrating thing to watch. The you know Jesse Ertz and the run game just completely stop working and just knowing what's coming with the other team. Just there, there's almost no doubt that they were going to come back. Yeah, I don't know that I would call it the most frustrating of the loss. Excuse me, most frustrating loss of the season for me, but it was still very frustrating. I mean, for every reason Clint just listed, you know, when when you're up 13 points going into the fourth quarter, you got to be feeling pretty good. And just one too many wasted opportunities, which unfortunately kind of became a theme over the next several years. But uh, yeah, really tough one to swallow for sure. 
Yeah, I hated this game so much. Like, looking back, yeah, the Oklahoma State game is probably up there, but just the one that always pops in my head from this year is this game. Blowing the lead. Uh, their go-ahead touchdown, I, I've told you guys before, but Jordan Willis got absolutely held, like, twice in one play uh, on the rollout by Skylar Howard uh, with no call. It's a pretty huge play. Um, this is when... Like I was telling you guys earlier, do or uh, DJ Reed had that PI where he ripped the dude's helmet off midair. Do you remember that one? Dude, was that the one it. where the receiver still caught it? He caught it, and he you know tried to make a play on it, and it was an underthrown ball. Receiver came back, and DJ kind of grabbed his helmet and pulled it off. So I think he got a face mask penalty on top of the the catch, if I'm not mistaken. But that was like you know I wasn't following you know DJ Reed kind of slipped into the the recruiting class a little bit and I didn't know who he was and I was like oh boy like hopefully you know he obviously turned out a, a lot better than than uh the early play in that year um you know he turned it around pretty quick in the next couple of games but yeah I just a lot of things about this game just kind of irked me um that like Clint was saying just and we lived it so much over the last few years is just the offense getting so predictable to try to bleed away a game. And more often than not, it just didn't work anymore. You know, like sometimes, yeah, we would get out of there and we would, our game plan of, you know, just run the clock out kind of worked, but usually it gave other teams, you know, the, the door would swing open in the second half for teams to come back and beat us. Um, and that, that strategy to me was never a winning strategy in that time. And I just hated it. So, and it, it that strategy will come back to bite us, I believe, later this year. So we'll get to that. <laughs> Deontay Burton did have a gotta... really nice catch this game. Um, he was kind of famous for making really good catches and then dropping really easy catches. Yes. He, it was what a deep, kind of a deep out or a deep uh, corner route almost yeah yeah that was a nice catch yeah that the last drive to, to your point alex about becoming predictable the last drive so k-state gets that the ball with 611 left so still plenty of time but that final drive you're you're trying to charles jones him to death he has seven carries on that 10 play drive that gets K-State down to the West Virginia 26 for McCrane and ultimately ends up missing that 43 yard field goal. That's another one of those where one, it's almost surprising that you're, you're not going QB run just because again, that's always proven to be K-State's bread and butter, but you got to have more in the arsenal, you know, and, and, but the other part of the, in this Jesse Ertz really struggled throwing the ball in this game. Uh, only 10 completions on 30 attempts. Now, granted, of those 10 completions, he went for 166 yards. So when he did hit guys, he he got uh, his money's worth out of that. So, you know, a couple of long strikes, to that one to Deontay Burden, a 26-yarder to Dominic Keith. Uh, Byron Pringle, again, had four catches in this game with a long of 19. So, you had your shots in this one. Uh, and unfortunately, again, the door just left... Uh, 
just creaked open for West Virginia and they were able to sneak through it and ultimately end up stealing a win from Kansas state. And I think the more, the more discouraging part in this for me was starting to lament those losses from last season where K-State, you know, you had the 15 point blown lead at Oklahoma state to open up conference play. Then you followed that up with a big lead that you blew against TCU. And you're just, now you're starting to say to yourself, Oh man, is this, going to become a theme here because i know again we always talk about oh when k-state has a lead at halftime oh when k-state has a lead this far into a game when and like then that that's kind of become a non-starter at this point it because as you said alex things have just become very predictable offensively when the ball gets into k-state's hands and we we need to ice you know ice this game we need to salt away time and it's you just know that it's it's going to be more of an uphill battle than it was in the past when all those statistically when all those wins were accrued by the Bill Snyder teams in the, in the late nineties, when K-State was just crushing everybody, of course you had a halftime lead or a double digit lead in third quarter. Like it was, yes, that's why that record was so vast and not, excuse me, so vastly inflated, but in any event, K-State drops the conference opener uh, and falls to two and two on the season 0-1 in a Big 12 play. The Wildcats do get to come home for a night game against the Patrick Mahomes-led Texas Tech Red Raiders. And, and guys, I'll, before we even dive into this one, Nutter, I, I, I wanted to ask you, this is probably, you could make an argument, and if you guys feel differently, feel free to let me know, but I think you could make an argument with this being probably one of the top, maybe even top five wins at home during the Snyder 2-0 era. Maybe top 10 for sure, but maybe top five, depending. Yeah, I mean, you know, quality of opponent, like they, Tech kind of always are what they are. But, uh, I mean, if you want to look at the game itself, this thing, I mean, this game had everything. We scored in all three facets of the game. There were lead changes. There was Patrick Mahomes, you know, a 99-yard kick return right before half. Um, yeah, th- this game was, sn- like, sneaky, crazy entertaining. And I don't think I appreciated how entertaining this game really was until, honestly, several years later looking back at it. But, yeah, it uh, – I mean, I definitely think it's got to be in the conversation for one of the one of the most entertaining wins of, of Snyder's second tenure. Yeah, I agree with that if the question is – entertainment value it was just a really fun game and you got to see Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things before he became Patrick Mahomes on a you know national global level but as far as like big wins go this Texas Tech team finished uh five and seven so not a not a big game as far as um you know importance of win or beating a, a good team but definitely one of uh one of the top most entertainment entertaining games I can remember being at. Yeah. Looking back on it, it's definitely fun. Um, you know, seeing DJ Reed pick off Patrick Mahomes, take it back for six. Um, but at the time, I mean, I, I am not a fan of any game where K-State gives up 500 yards, even if it's to a prolific passing team. Um, yeah, it, it definitely was fun, but it was also very frustrating to see the defense give up so many big plays, which would kind of be a theme of the season. The whole bend but bro- don't break defense didn't really work. It was kind of the opposite this year. Um, had a pretty solid defense, aside from the big plays that they would give up. You know, this uh, this game reminded me of the 2011 Baylor game 
as far as just watching a quarterback and some receivers out there make just insane plays. And I just remember watching Mahomes just make, you know, we put him in such tough positions and he would just make a play. He made a great play where his receiver dropped a touchdown on fourth and two. That was huge in the game, but it's just kind of one of those where you just tip your cap to him and you hope you move on and, you know, do better the rest of the game. But it, it kind of reminded me of watching RG3 out there throwing dimes all over the place. You're like, you know, what what do you do to stop that? So kind of had that vibe to it. I think one of the crazier things is Tech had 11 guys catch at least one pass. I mean, he was really spreading it around. So, like, you know, normally when you see a stat line like that for a quarterback, one receiver accounts for 250 of it. But Kiki QT had 130, but no one else went over 100. I mean, he was really lighting it up to anybody and everybody. That I remember watching that game and just being at the, in, in the moment, obviously as a fan, very frustrated. But Mahomes was just nothing sh- short of surgical. <laughs> the way he just dismantled K State's defense, he goes so he hits just under 80 percent on 62 attempts, throws for 504, and, and when that happens, in most instances, you would assume that the team with the quarterback that threw for 504 yards and accounted for five touchdowns overall and only turned the ball over one time probably ended up coming out on top. Now, that's that's not the case. And a big reason why, Nutter, you alluded to it, K-State scoring at all facets. The, this is uh, an extremely entertaining game. Uh, we get a back and forth, uh, tit for tat, first possession, Mahomes, 14 plays, 85 yards, touchdown, first possession of the game. K-State goes right back and returns the favor. They get a touchdown, uh, excuse me, pass to Isaiah Zuber. And then on the ensuing possession, this is when the DJ Reed undercuts the route, takes it to the house, uh, move, uh, going into the now fully enclosed uh, south end zone of KSU Stadium, or excuse me, Bill Snyder Family Stadium. So K State up now 14 to 7, but Mahomes four plays 75 yards that go right back and even it up 14 14. K State has to kick a field goal on its next possession. I, I'm sure I, 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 I'm always of the mentality field goals against tech are usually not a good thing. And at the time, I'm sure I was probably panicking about this, and especially when Texas Tech on the next possession go 68 yards and seven plays they get a touchdown they take the lead right back and then k-state gets a touchdown of its own on its next possession and jesse Ertz one yard touchdown run uh, again not a lot of defense in this first half in case you can tell <laughs> just looking up and down the drive chart here and i'll just i'll go through it tech touchdown k-state touchdown K-State touchdown on a pick six, tech touchdown, K-State field goal, tech touchdown, K-State touchdown, tech touchdown, K-State touchdown, tech punt. <laughs> and and we finally get to the end of the first half. Now, there was a pretty sweet uh, kick return touchdown from one Byron Pringle. And Clint, I, I know we've we've kind of dogged him at this point because we were really, again, we, we've talked about how desperate K-State was, needing somebody to contribute in the passing game. And Isaiah Zuber is still very green uh, Deontay Burton is still Deontay Burton always kind of was what he was Uh, again you 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 weren't necessarily saying okay we're going to throw the ball to you 10 times a game 
So that being said, and, and, and Dominic Keith, another guy who was always Dominic Keith as a freshman versus Dom Heath as a senior. I feel like you just you had that same kind of reliability with him, a good guy to throw flares to make some guys miss in space. But you really needed a difference maker in the passing game. And I don't know, Clint, did this change your tune on Byron Pringle? Any with that kick return, finally seeing him make a contribution in special teams? Yeah, you know, he never turned out to be Quincy Morgan like I thought he was at the beginning of his career. But, you know, anytime you can come in and contribute on special teams, um, that's obviously a plus. And, you know, he had a good season, especially for a run-oriented team. Um, he put up yards. He was definitely a threat. Uh, the other team had to respect his athletic ability. And uh, he was a fun guy to watch. You know, I... He had some moments where it was a little bit frustrating, and he had some moments where he clearly just wasn't on the same page as Jesse Ertz, but he was a good player, and I really enjoyed him. So after all the fireworks in the first half, um, I don't know how everybody's feeling at this point because K-State is really playing Texas Tech's game, and they are, are fortunate enough to be holding on to a, a very tenuous 31-28 to lead at halftime. And so in, uh, so second half gets rolling, K-State gets ball to start second half, so you're hoping, okay, maybe we can stretch this out and make this a two-score, uh, but unfortunately, K-State goes three and out, gives the ball right back to Tech. Now, uh, Mahomes does what Mahomes does. He drives the Red Raiders 77 yards down the field in 15 plays. Uh, fortunately, K-State is able to stop the Red Raiders on that drive on down. So the Wildcats turn Tech away after the Red Raiders get all the way down inside the K-State 10-yard line. So the Wildcats fortunate enough to come up with a de facto stop there. They have to punt it right back, though, to Tech on the next possession. And then Tech gets a field goal to pull level at 31-31. K-State, again, three-place punt. So the offense very stagnant here to start off uh, the second half. And then K-State's defense, though, yet again, bows up in a big way. Uh, with the game tied at 31-31, they stop Texas Tech on downs. Reggie Walker comes up with a huge sack uh, to take, uh, to, and actually this helps K-State tremendously in winning field position battles. So uh, the sack by Walker uh, is a 12-yard loss that actually ends up setting up K-State with a, just uh, on the Texas Tech side of the field at the 47. Wildcats take advantage and Charles Jones them to death here <laughs> and Charles Jones ends up capping off a eight play 47 yard touchdown drive with a two yard run. So K-State now up 38 to 31, a very, very rare three and out K-State gets the ball back and they are able to go and eat up six minutes a clock uh, as we grow, roll deep into the fourth quarter now and they are able to stretch that. 38 uh, 31 lead to 41 to 31. So now there's not much, there's not as much time left, I should say. Uh, and K State is um, holding on to a 10 point advantage, and the Wildcats come up yet again with another stop on down. So uh, Kingsbury and, and company are just throwing the kitchen sink at this defense. And and, and this was honestly, this, uh, well, if you, it's really two a tale of two halves, as as you can obviously put together here with this defense. Uh, at this point, K State's held Tech to just three points, and they've turned them away several times. I, I'm feeling very good about things. Again, we we talked about how we felt like this defense had some teeth to it, and there there were some guys who were coming through and making plays. Uh, so K State comes through, and and they stop Tech on downs with five minutes left, and the Wildcats eat up a couple minutes a clock 
and they're able to get a field goal to make it 44 to 31. Now, if I'm sure at this point, a lot of fans have already headed out to the parking lot. K State up 13. There's no time, you know, there's a couple minutes left. Uh, but Patrick made K State sweat this one out quite a bit. There is a bullshit PI call on DJ Reed that ends up nullifying an interception that would have not only uh, given the ball to K-State, but would have allowed them to cover a 10-point spread. I don't have any thoughts about that on that particular day, Uh, but unfortunately, a BS PI call goes against DJ Reed, allows Tech to extend a drive, and Mahomes is able to cash in with just a circus touchdown pass to Cameron Batson with just five seconds left. Now, Tech ends up actually recovering the onside kick. So all of a sudden we go from this game potentially being decided by double digits to Tech has ball with a chance to potentially walk out to steal a a win. But the Wildcats come up with one last stop. Uh, Alex, thankfully you showed me the the replay at the end of the uh, game. Um, Mike Moore with a a sensational effort to chase Patrick Mahomes down from the backside and force and just rack him as he's letting go of the ball and force an incompletion. And the K-State comes out with a 44 to 38 victory. Uh, Again, I I don't think it can be overstated enough how entertaining of a a game this was, just getting an opportunity to to see Mahomes do what he did, but to also see K-State light up the scoreboard and on its own terms and, 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 beat Texas Tech really at its own game. This is a high possession game. This is obviously not the game case, excuse me, K-State wants to play, but they're able to come through and get a big win. Now, uh, uh, any other thoughts on this one as we get ready to move to the Oklahoma game? Yeah, that, uh, that Mahomes guy, it's really too bad his skills don't, don't translate to the professional level because I would have loved to see what he could have done in the NFL. Just another product of the system, Justin. I was mad when the Chiefs drafted him. I don't know about <laughs> you guys. I, I did not think he was going to be good. Uh, oh, I, I was furious. Watson, and then about <laughs> 10 minutes into it, I was like, okay. And then I remembered this game, and I'm like, you know what? He made some crazy plays, so we'll see. Once they started making the Brett Favre comparisons, and it's Andy Reid making those comparisons, I was like, all right, all right, we'll see what we got here. <laughs> No, I, I too, um, grouped him in. And now, to think that Patrick Mahomes was the same as a, a, a Sonny Cumbie or a B.J. Simmons or, and Cliff Kingsbury, like, the the most egregious thing I have ever done in, in evaluating a player. I, I will own that till the day that I die. And I, I said he was a generic Texas Tech quarterback when we drafted him. I have obviously been proven wrong countless times. Patrick, we love you, please. please. And I know you got that guaranteed money here. So I know you're going to stay in Kansas City forever. So please stay healthy. Please, please stay healthy because we got more Super Bowls that we got to win here. So And give us a follow while you're at it. <laughs> and get us an NBA team while you're buying up all this, the <laughs> Kansas City franchises. Do everything. Make Make Kansas City. <laughs> you know, the, the mech, the sports mecca that it needs That's to be. Right. Get us in the Pac-12 while we, while you're at it, too. Just start your own TV network and, and <laughs> give the, the the remaining eight the, the, the rights to it, all, all the rights and the deals and, and make sure that the payout per school is going to be greater than that of the SEC and the Big Ten. He's got the money I, for that. I just want to see for babies while you're at it. Send them to K-State. What's That's that? Right. <laughs> oh, just saying. While while we're making requests, just tell them to have some more babies. Send them to K State. 
have them be all American football players. Just all of it. We're not asking much. Thanks, Pat. Suddenly, my uh, asking him to follow us on Twitter doesn't seem so crazy. (laughs) No. But yeah, do all that other stuff too. (laughs) What were we we talking about again? Uh, we'll, we'll jump next into the Oklahoma game. Um, the one thing I don't remember much about this game other than Oklahoma jumped on K-State early and it never really seemed like K-State was in position to get back into the contest. One thing I do remember though, was in the lead up to the game, uh, Reggie Walker in the presser that week made a comment about Oklahoma's running backs. If you hit them hard, they will go down and Baker Mayfield, retweeted it and got everybody all asked up and and I feel so bad Reggie Walker is a pretty soft-spoken guy um I felt so bad for him just because I know how you know how Snyder operates it's it's control the message put out no bulletin board material and I'm sure Reggie Walker never saw media again (laughs) but I remember a lot of much ado about nothing there do you have a thought Alex I was going to say, now that you think, I think about it, though, it didn't Elijah Lee just absolutely smoke Joe Mixon in this game? He did. So, yeah, Reggie Walker, <laughs> he was kind of right. Yeah, that definitely should have been a targeting, but that, that was quite the hit. Whatever. It was Joe Mixon. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that was a you pretty know, prolific OU offense. They had NFL, good NFL players up and down the roster there. Yeah, D.D. Westbrook, he was he was a he was a pud. Um, but yeah, him and Baker Mayfield, Samaje P. Ryan, like they. Mark uh, this Andrews. Is, this is a stacked OU team. But again, K State's defense, you know, you, you give up 38. That's not a great number, but a lot of teams would have wanted to have only given up 38 to Oklahoma this season and K-State like I said this is just a contest where you never really felt like the Wildcats were in it they they really struggle early on in this game and they they do throw together a pretty long arduous drive to to draw this one to within a couple scores late in the first quarter but again it just it never really felt like the wildcats were ever going to truly threaten the sooners there was a, again there were some great moments uh, particularly defensively there was a great interception by duke shelley in this game uh, that hit by elijah lee alex that you mentioned that i remember it's not often you hear a really big crack on mm-hmm. tv when the pads pop like that but man i remember hearing that and just mm, Bones, bones rattled, man. But I was going to say Oklahoma, unfortunately, ends up getting uh, the last lap in this one as they come out with the 38 to 17 win over the Wildcats. Again, it just it's it's an uphill climb for K-State. They get down 14 to nothing and it they get out gained 510 yards to 335. It's it's just not unfortunately K-State's day in this contest. Uh, Jesse Ertz goes out momentarily. Joe Hubner comes in. He actually ends up throwing a touchdown pass uh, in this game. So I don't think though there's any thought of a quarterback controversy. It's it's been Ertz the entire way, uh, really, with the exception of again instances in which he has to come out of the game for a handful of plays here and there. So while K-State has really just run up against, when you think about it, the the early part of the season, that Stanford team ended up winning 10 games. They went 10 and three that year. 
West Virginia. This actually ends up being Dana Holgerson's best team, arguably his best team at West Virginia. They too end up going 10 and three that season. And then on top of all that, you have a future big 12 champion, Oklahoma. So K states, the the schedule makers, obviously the, you know, the non-con is your own doing, but the big 12 schedule makers certainly did K state no favors and, and loading up uh, the conference slate early on for the Wildcats, but things do get a little bit easier for K-State the following week as the Wildcats come home to welcome in the Texas Longhorns. And uh, the this game was highly entertaining to watch. K-State just zone read UT to death. Jesse Ertz has a, a terrific day running the football against the Texas defense. Um, the one part of it that I remember that was particularly frustrating uh, was late in, or excuse me not late but uh, early on in the second half there's an opportunity for K-State to stretch at that point in time what is a 21 to 7 lead to 28 to 7 and Charles Jones ends up coughing one up going in for a touchdown um I'll just ask the group here we've we've seen at this point it's not like he's getting exclusively all the carries at running back that the, the offensive coaches have been pretty liberal with the carries. Let's say that Justin Silman's had games where he gets 10, 11 touches. Uh, Dalvin Warmack's had games where he's getting touches. Alex Barnes is starting to kind of creep in. Um, I'll just say at this point, uh, if you had to rate your frustration on a scale of one to 10 with, with the level of touches, Charles Jones is getting where you guys fall falling in that. 11. <laughs> uh, I was going to be nice and say like an eight, but yeah, pretty high. Yeah. I mean, this running back room is stacked and Charles Jones ranks about fourth in it, in my mind at this point. And all right. Mean, where's Silman? Where's Barnes? Where, where's Warmack, especially? And then nothing against Charles Jones, but like, yeah, I agree. He was probably the fourth best running back in that room. But then you get all the, the Snyderisms about, oh, he's probably playing because he's a better pass blocker or whatever nonsense. I don't know. Yeah. It, he did do some nice things. I mean, that Texas Tech game, he had a nice game. But that's, I mean, that's not a great defense he's going against. Um, yeah, just every other running back brought something special. And Charles Jones was fine, usually, but not a special player who's going to make special plays for him. He didn't like do he didn't have good the top, offset a bad play like this. Yeah. yeah. He didn't have the top gear to like burn people, but he also didn't have the power to run people over. He was just pretty good at, you know, everything, but wasn't great at one specific thing. Um, especially when we saw glimpses of the other guys, you know, either with elite speed or with power to, to get through the, tackle break tackles and yep whatnot i too am in uh, that camp of I'm, a, I'm i'm at about an eight or a nine as far as the frustration level like a, a, again he, and it's not that he had a bad day this day either he he had 81 yards on 12 carries so he averaged just under seven yards a pop but 
it's little things like that. And Nutter, you touched on against Missouri State, you know, the dropping the ball before, you know, as you're crossing the goal line or before you're crossing the goal line, like little nitpicky things like that. It's it's we don't need that shit, you know, and we we know how small the margin for error is. And and I think also, too, with with what we know, the other guys can bring to the table like. Justin Silman actually has it. This is one of his, uh, this is his best season. I, I shouldn't say this uh, unequivocally is his best season at K-State. And we know what he brings and he, he is much more a stick the, the foot in the ground and go type of a guy. Dalvin Warmack, uh, I think we're wanting to see what he can do when given the ball and, and, and see how his elusive ability fits into this whole thing. And I think this was just really one of those, moments where we're experience in, in the book of the staff uh, that that experience kind of trumps all unfortunately and sometimes that works to your benefit sometimes to your detriment and this is one time where it burned k-state and the wildcats really again they they carve up ut on the ground in this game they run for 240 they have 27 first down so they really do a good effective job moving the ball but they leave some points out on the field uh, as we said there and this is a game k-state has to sweat at the end uh dj reed alex you talked about he makes a great play at the end to to help seal this one yeah um i was remembering at the because something i've always remembered about dj reed is the first few games, he was a new guy getting some playing time. Felt like he was going to be the new guy getting picked on because he didn't have a good game against West Virginia. He had that. And there's probably some – he maybe made two or three bad plays and, you know, fans kind of – they roll with it and go, oh, boy, this guy's going to get picked on all year. And then he made the – you know, he played good against Tech, had that pick. And then this play here was like, all right, this guy, he he's a good player. He's going to be – could be something really special. Uh, at this time, I sat in section one in uh, Bill Snyder Stadium, and this play happened right in front of me in the corner of the uh, north end zone. But guys should have made a pretty, pretty nice, but not super difficult touchdown catch. And Reed made a, a heck of a play recovering and knocking it out of his hands, and that kind of, you know, put a bow on that game for me. I think. And, Definitely made things look up for D- old DJ Reed. He's doing pretty good for himself these days. Is he the best defensive back of the Snyder 2-0 era? That's tough. We had Josh Moore in 2009, who's pretty underrated. Obviously, Nigel, Nigel Malone had an unbelievable 2011 year and then probably took a little bit of a dip in 2012. If we're going all defensive backs, I would say Ty Zimmerman is the number one guy. But out of cornerbacks, I, I guess I should say uh, corners. Yes, Sorry. yeah, then there's definitely an argument for DJ Reed for number one corner. Yeah, I mean, just looking at where guys are now, you got to put Duke Shelley up there as well. Um, still playing in the league, but yeah, I would say like Nigel Malone and Bubba Chapman were. They were both on really good defenses and were really good at doing what they were doing, but they weren't asked to do probably as much as DJ Reed had to do because they had such good players around them. They were kind of sitting back waiting to make plays. And um, I think the defenses DJ Reed played on, he had to probably carry more of a load. Plus he added a lot in uh, special teams as well. 
Yeah, uh, Alex kind of took the words right out of my mouth there. I think you have to look at the supporting cast to really make that call because, like, Malone and Chapman both probably had more big-time plays, but a lot of that is a product of, you know, the guys in front of them as well. And, uh, you know, there were definitely a few special teams moments that Malone and Chapman could not claim either. So, yeah, he's definitely in the conversation. The thing I really appreciated about DJ Reed was not only was he a great cover corner, but he was just a playmaker. He would run up and take the ball right out of the running back's hands. He was running up and batting down passes when he was blitzing. Uh, he was just an all-around football player. I think I think he's the type of player that you look back at some of those D coordinators, you know, Phil Bennett and, and Bielma and the guys who preceded them. I think those guys would have looked at that type of player, his body, his, how physical he was. He would have fit great into the 90s style of just going up and bodying receivers at the line. Like he was, and, and to that point, I think he was really one of the few guys that would engage physically like that and, and really wanted to to win, uh, to force and win one-on-one battles. Um, Nigel Malone and Chapman, like we said, th- those guys kind of we we lived in zone so much when when we were playing with them and, and they 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 were very opportunistic when the ball came their way and they had an opportunity they would make plays on it but those weren't guys again where we felt like or it seemed like we would get up and press and try and force things on on the boundary dj reed was very much a throwback in that sense and just how physical he was i i've, I've always really appreciated him and felt like he was probably the best cover corner we had of the snyder 2-0 era and he makes a big big contribution on this day to help k-state pick up its second big 12 win and move to four and three on the season so now we take it on the road against the, if you'll remember last season, uh, Proud Paul dismissed very unceremoniously following the loss in which Iowa State gagged a three-touchdown lead against the Wildcats. And now Matt Campbell is in to take over for the Cyclones. And this Iowa State team, uh, not not particularly good. Uh, again, he's inherited kind of a mess. And, and so Campbell's really just going out, going through the motions. But th- this is a, a game that ends up being a lot more competitive than it, it should be. Um, and I think we all have very unique stories about what was happening this day. Clint, I'll let you go first, though. I'm that asshole. I was getting married that day. You know, when, you're, <laughs> when your wife, your fiance at the time, wants a fall wedding, there's no good, you know, bye weeks to put it on around the time. Then you go ahead and schedule it for Iowa State and hope that your uh, guests aren't too pissed off at you. You hope that Iowa State does what Iowa State is going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank, thanks, Alex, for being one of my groomsmen and not complaining. Oh, too yeah. Much. Yeah, I was there, too. We watched the first half, and then I think, I don't even remember, someone told us after the ceremony we won, and I was I was like, sweet, I'm not going to be mad at Clint now. Let's go. Uh, let's go get drunk. Yeah, that that was me that told you. I whipped my phone out as soon as we got out of the church. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was you. We I all was have less pr- concerned about it than you were, and it was your wedding. We all very much have our priorities in line here. I was uh, <laughs> my um, my wife works for a, uh, a fraternity foundation, and it actually um, one of at an auction for said foundation earlier in the year. One of the alums of a school had put up two tickets to the Mizzou Kentucky 
game uh, in Columbia. So uh, we just decided, okay, let's you know go up go up there for for Saturday. We knew K State was on the road. Iowa State at this point in the season they were one and six. I wasn't really overly concerned with K State winning this game. I felt like that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. So I got to watch a very bad Missouri, uh, very bad and very disinterested Mizzou team get just smoked by uh, Benny Snell. I remember Kentucky just literally wildcatted the hell out of Missouri in that game. It was a a very apathetic Mizzou squad, um, but neither here nor there. And Nutter, I can't remember. Did you have anything going on this weekend or were you actually just spectating? (laughs) I watched this game at Bruff's Steakhouse off I-70 in Emporia. I don't even remember why I was there, but (laughs) that's where I was. Um, Yeah, no. And this is a game where, you know, I've said it a hundred times already. Weird shit happens in Ames. It just does. You know, and I think a game like this, Iowa State's probably at its most dangerous because no one's going to see him coming. And, uh, you know, for for the, for three quarters, I mean, K-State was really in control. We entered the fourth quarter up 31 to 10. I mean, just really banging on all cylinders. And then, you know, we've said it a couple times, you know, just can't close games out in the fourth quarter. Just about everything else went wrong the rest of the way. We were able to hang on right at the end. I know we'll get into more detail, but yeah, I mean, just, you know, another chapter in the, in the, in the weird experiences and names. So things get this Iowa state team, they, they do have, you know, Alan Lazard is obviously an, a dominant receiver in the big 12. He's really just starting to come into his own. Now, Joel Lanning, this is before he gets moved to linebacker. So he's now just kind of in, uh, more so like he's been supplanted. He's not doing the quarterback thing anymore. He's coming in more so in like wildcat packages. He does have a couple of pass attempts in this game, but he all, but he has 10 runs, but K state really, they get on the board early with the field. They force a three and out on the first possession for the clones. They themselves take the ball right down the field. Have They get down to the ISU six, but have to settle for a field goal. Clones come back with a field goal of their own, but then K-State really starts to flex here. 13 play, 75-yard touchdown. Uh, this one is a beautiful uh pass and catch by uh, Jesse Ertz and Byron, or excuse me, Deontay Burton, respectively. So the Cats go up uh, 10 to three. They force a pick on the very next possession. Duke Shelley gets the INT. Then the Wildcats uh, put together an 86 yard touchdown drive to go up 17 to three. And that's ultimately what ends up being the score at halftime. Now clones, have to do kind of a chicken shit thing here. They onside to open up the second half. They get it, and then they get a court field. They go 52 yards to cut it to 17 to 10 with a touchdown. But K-State responds in a big way. They go 85 yards on their ensuing possession, eat up almost seven minutes of the clock, and they get a, a touchdown here to go up 24 to 10. Winston Dimmel, the one who gets to carry this one into the end zone, a nice little fullback counter play. I remember that was a very good design, how they ran and executed that one. The Wildcats on the next possession defensively end up stopping the clones on downs. They have a short field and take advantage and end up scoring a touchdown to make it 31 to 10. And this is... This is the game that kind of marks the emergence of Alex Barnes. And at this point, I remember when I went back home uh, after the fact and ended up watching this, I'm just seeing this guy. And I know it's Iowa State, and I know they're not a great team. But 
he just Barnes runs. It's so natural to him. And that's what I felt like. And, and I, and I think we've all kind of touched on it. Like this, some, this comes so effortlessly to him. Why are we dicking around with some of these other guys as far as how we're distributing these carries? Alex Barnes looks like he should be the guy because if if you look at the box score here, 37 yards on only five carries, uh, Charles Jones has 37 yards, but it takes him 12 carries to get that same level of production. So just kind of frustrating away again with the way that carries are being distributed in this game. Now, the Wildcats are up now 31 to 10 Iowa State does get a touchdown and, and and this is one of those things what what you can't do is give give it to them quickly and unfortunately the clones get a touchdown it takes up only two minutes so the cyclones have a little bit of life uh heading into the fourth quarter uh and k-state on its next possession has to go four place punt they give it to iowa state and the clones go 77 yards get all the way down to the one yard line and jacob park airmails a surefire touchdown pass to David Montgomery, future NFL draft pick David Montgomery. Uh, I believe he's with the Bears, but that that really saves the day for K-State um, because the Wildcats on the next play end up getting cracked. Uh, Charles Jones again gets hit in the backfield for a loss on the one, so that's a safety. So now it's 31 to 19. Uh, Iowa State then gets two more possessions with a chance to try and. Uh, get to steal when fortunately K-State stops them on the ensuing drive and they're able to eat up a couple of minutes of clock on the next drive and that really leaves the the clones with no time left they Iowa State gets the ball with 240 still down 31 to 19 uh, and they take up almost the full two minutes to get that touchdown to make this one competitive K-State does recover the onside kick and the Wildcats fortunate enough to escape Ames with a 31 to 26 victory. So the streak against Iowa State gets extended now. This one, uh, the Cats have not lost the clones going all the way back to 2008. So the Wildcats preserve that streak and they move now to five and three on the season. And guys, I, I, I'm, I'm looking and, and we're starting to see in I talked about the emergence of Alex Barnes in this game, but another thing, Jesse Ertz starting to look a lot more polished now. He hits 18 of 28 in this game, and that's something that I, I think is really undervalued in, in, in his game is like we, we we got so focused on the struggles early on in the season. We really didn't appreciate how much he progressed. This is when he really started to come into his own as a passer, I think. Yeah, you know, this was his first year starting. It should have been his second, but he was out all of 2015. You know, he's still struggling with injuries, but when he's on the field, he's he's looking better and better. Um, you know, I, I think we always look back at Jesse Ertz and say what could have been if he would. I mean, he, he could have been a three-year starter um, if he would have been able to uh, accumulate all that experience. I think we'd be talking about him as one of the better quarterbacks in case to history. So the Wildcats now five and three, three and two in the Big 12. And this takes us to one of the most frustrating games. I think I maybe more so than the TC game uh, the year prior. The Wildcats uh, coming home to host Oklahoma State. And Alex, we talked about it. Alternate uniforms, alternate uniforms. It's a problem. Yes, we wear the uh, the white camo 
helmets. I'm sure it was probably Fort Riley Day, if if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think the first time we've worn anything alternate since that, I believe it was the 2013 Iowa State game where we wore the digital camo helmets, which, like I said, you couldn't even tell that those were different unless you're three feet away from a player. But those white camo, those were pretty slick. I liked them a lot. I thought they were again. very sexy. And if we and if you were to tell me we were going to break those out for Fort Riley Day from now until the end of time, I would be perfectly fine with that. No one else has any thoughts on that? Come on. Oh, well, I, I just echo what you guys say. I mean, they were dope. And to be the first ones that you could actually even see, I mean, that was a big deal. Uh, Yeah, we should be. If we won that game, maybe we'd have worn those helmets again. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I just want to know how much space we're using up in veneer for helmets that we wear one time and then never see again. <laughs> they probably just send them straight to the auction after the game. So the Wildcats coming into this game against the 18th ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. K-State actually the uh, the favorite in this contest. They're almost a touchdown favorite against OK State. So. Uh, kind of a surprise in that front, uh, in that sense. Now, uh, K-State, again, picks up right where they left off. Jesse Ertz, again, really starting to come into his own as one of the better dual-threat quarterbacks in this conference. Leads K-State on a crushing opening drive. Uh, 11 plays, all runs, capped off by a Jesse Ertz touchdown run of nine yards on the first possession. And Ian Patterson biffs the PAT, so it's six to nothing. And then uh, K-State's defense rises up on the pokes uh, on their first possession, I should say. Uh, they turn Oklahoma State over on downs at the Wildcat 37-yard line. K-State goes right down the field, six plays, 63 yards to take a 13 to nothing lead off of a Winston Dimmel 10-yard touchdown run. So this is we're going we're going to get ready though for a lot of back and forth though because this is a very very explosive Oklahoma State team uh, and the Pokes do respond they get a touchdown to draw to within 13 to 7 K-State punts on its next possession Oklahoma State takes the lead they go five plays 80 yards to take a 14 to 13 lead the Wildcats get the ball back and this is one of this is a play that you probably forgot K-State fan out there on a first down and 10 from the Wildcats 33 yard line. Charles Jones busts off a 35 yard run. However, had he not stepped on the chalk, it would have been a touchdown. Uh, so he ends up stepping out of bounds on the Oklahoma State 32 yard line. So the Wildcats have a touchdown taken off the board and Oklahoma, and that obviously greatly benefits Oklahoma State as they're able to bow up and force a field goal. The Wildcats do get this ball down to the Oklahoma State uh, 20 yard line, but Jesse Ertz ultimately gets sacked on third down and eight and the Wildcats have to kick a 43-yard field goal. So it's 13, uh, excuse me, 16 to 14 K-State. Oklahoma State goes right down the field and scores to take a 21-16 lead, and the Cats have to punt it back to them right before halftime. Fortunately, K-State uh, does not surrender any points, so it's 21-16 to 16 going into the locker room. Not really feeling discouraged or anything the offense is produced uh you know albeit a couple of uh, literal missteps uh that have left some points out there uh but there's been good there's been bad that, that you know that with this oklahoma state team that they're going to put up points they've got 
big weapons in, in McCleskey and uh, James Washington, Mason Rudolph. Like they, they've got guys who can burn you deep down the field, as we'll find out later in the contest. Now, K-State forces a punt on the first possession of the second half. Uh, the Wildcats, however, give it, uh, or excuse me, end up recovering a fumble uh, as they punt it away, and Elijah Lee ends up getting on the ball for K-State at the Oklahoma State 39-yard line. So K-State's got a short field here, and the Wildcats, unfortunately, are not able to capitalize as the, uh, they go for it. A, a very, very rare fake field goal. This is like, I'll ask you guys, do you remember the last time K-State ran a fake field goal prior to this game? I remember Ron Prince running a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. I guess that Josh Cherry one wasn't a fake. That was kind of more accidental. This one looked accidental also, how poorly it was executed. I remember one. It was a clunker non-con game early when Bill came back. We ran a fake field goal, scored, and then the kicker uh, celebrated by shanking the extra point. So, yeah, fake field goals never really been too kind to (laughs) K-State. Yeah, uh, Mitch Lockbeeler right trying to get him through the uh, the gut of an offensive line when you need to get four, probably not the play. Uh, however, it doesn't end up biting K-State as Duke Shelley, and we really haven't talked about Duke a lot. He's kind of endured a, a bit of a sophomore slump here, but he comes through and ends up getting a 29-yard pick six on the next possession. So K-State takes a 23-21 to lead. The defense gets a stop on their next possession, and then the Wildcats stretch that lead uh, when Alex Barnes comes back in, and and Jesse Ertz and Alex Barnes kind of gash the pokes going down the field. Jesse Ertz ends up running, uh, has a nice 11-yard gallop on that drive, has a couple of drive-extending plays, and ultimately caps off the drive with a two-yard touchdown run. So K-State now up 30-21. to 21. Um, That missed PAT is kind of irking me right now, but again, you're still with the two-possession lead, but it's one of those things that's just kind of lingering in the back of my mind here. Mason Rudolph leads a nice touchdown drive to get Oklahoma State back to within the two points. He throws a 34-yard touchdown pass to Austin Hayes. And then K-State has a touchdown drive in response. Alex Barnes starts that drive with a 27-yard run. And and again, he and Ertz just gashing Oklahoma State on this day. The Wildcats ran for over 300 yards in this contest. And really everybody, and I know we've kind of shit on Charles Jones, but he, Ertz, Barnes, everybody's getting in on the action. K-State's offensive line, which we were kind of concerned with going into the season, has really developed. So K-State's up 37 to 28 now, and we're just at the start of the fourth quarter. We got a little bit over 12 minutes left. And Mason Rudolph throws a pick to DJ Reed, and this is probably, Clint, I, I don't know if you've gone through and graded all the INTs of the Snyder 2-0 era, but level of difficulty, this was probably one of the more ridiculous catches you'll ever see. DJ Reed is on top of the receiver running stride for stride with them. And right as the ball gets there, Reed puts out one hand and is able to pull it in as they both go to the ground. Um, Yeah, I agree. It's definitely one of the better interceptions. So K-State now with ball, a little bit less than 12 minutes left in the contest. And at this point, I, I think 
we've got this one pretty well sewn up, just especially with the way that we have run the ball. Like there's Oklahoma State has not stopped us at all today, at all. Um, and this leads to one of probably the the more infuriating decisions of the the contest for me. So K State gets the pick. Um, and Nutter, you brought up something that I totally spaced on in this. Uh, so K-State gets the pick. Uh, we get a one first down, and then Alex Barnes goes six yards, three yards. And this that three-yard run, however, should have probably been measured because it looked like Alex Barnes pretty clearly got the first down on that play. Honestly, like by as much as two feet, if not a full yard. I mean, it's really – I don't even think it's any, it's up for debate. Uh, but – inexplicably our coaching staff doesn't catch it or just elects not to have them take another look at it. Um, Jesse Ertz can't pick up the yard on the next play. We're sitting right around midfield up nine with the ball and make one of the most spineless decisions I think I've ever seen in a K-State football game and electing to punt it away. Frankly, I still can't talk about it without getting pissed off. Um, I can feel my body heat rising right now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, w- w- that's absolutely the play where we lost that game because Oklahoma State hits a home run two plays later, and it's kind of off to the races for him from there. But, yeah, just an absolutely ridiculously sad series of events that we really kind of self-inflicted by not reviewing it. Um, we could have erased all of it right then and there. At at minimum, burn some more clock on that drive. But, uh, yeah, what could not really have been mismanaged any worse by K-State. I'll, I'll give the coaching staff credit in this sense. The way you've run the ball, you're probably not concerned about getting the yard. Like, I, I, I guess if they're like, okay, you didn't get the yard, it's third and one. You know, you sneak it with Ertz, you get it, you don't get it. Like that, but that it's third part, and one anyway. I mean, even yeah. It, yeah, I don't understand. There's no reason to not have them look at that. I, I again, I just think this is one of those things where where Snyder and the staff were just so traditional and conventional in their thinking, and just well, we're, we're, we can certainly just rely on our defense. Uh, and this that was not something that K State could really do in this particular contest. Oklahoma State pretty well carved up K State in, in, in this game. Uh, Mason Rudolph throws for 457 yards has five touchdowns like and they also ran the ball pretty effectively with Justin Hill and Chris Carson like the, the to, to think that with eight minutes left that your defense is going to come up and get you two stops when you really have the opportunity to take control of the game yourself and just keep killing the clock and keep Oklahoma State's offense off the field that to me was the biggest we, we need to change our line of thinking like we, we can't approach this in, in such a traditional fashion we, we you know and, and i i remember watching like that sh- the espn was the, the telecast for this game and i remember showing the shot of the offensive line like france beecham terrell johns all of them are just like it's a fucking foot leave us on here to get it and then bill says kick it and then we send out the punt team and like nutter like you said it's two plays, 92 yards, Oklahoma State. That's the thing. Like, that's how quickly 
Oklahoma State can strike. Like you, you, you know that is on the table. And I understand you want to play complimentary football. I understand you want to trust your defense, but you have the opportunity to be the aggressor and to assert yourself and impose your will. And you didn't take advantage of it when you had the opportunity to really put the foot on the throat and take this game from Oklahoma State, and you didn't do it. Now, that case, and we're, we're saying all this, K-State still has the lead after all that happened. So we're sitting here, we're just pissed because of all this. K-State still has the lead after that uh, that sequence when they give up the, the touchdown pass to the aforementioned James Washington. So K-State gets the ball back with seven minutes and 45 seconds left. And uh, they appropriately go three and out and don't eat a, and don't eat a lot of clock. Oklahoma State then gets the ball right back, goes eight plays, 80 yards. They get a touchdown run uh, from Chris Carson. They get the two-point conversion, so they're now up 43 to 37. And at this point, I'm thinking we're pretty well cooked. Uh, Byron Pringle, though, on the last possession of the game, has a nice return, sets K-State up with a short-ish field uh, as he takes the ball out close to the 40-yard line. And <laughs> what what's this for for all the ills and for as much criticism I just threw at the staff, this was a very interesting approach to a two minute drill where they were all in the mindset of, well, certainly K-State's going to air it out. Nope, not at all. Uh, Jesse Ertz, seven yard run on the first play. And then he has a 25 yard run and then they're, they're doing a nice job of mixing in run and pass here. There's a nice uh, catch from Isaiah Zuber uh, to extend a drive. Uh, But the Wildcats are able to advance this ball pretty deep into Oklahoma state territory, Uh, a big completion to the aforementioned Zuber on a fourth down and four at the poke 14 gets K-State a first and goal with 11 seconds left. Ertz runs for five yards. So we've only, we've got, Tens, uh, we've got, you know, maybe two plays here to get the, that last three yards. So you're you're at the point though where you've kind of forced your hand and you have to go to the air. Um, now I'll ask you guys. There there was a PI called on Byron Pringle, an offensive pass interference. I never I have never seen a replay of that play. I have no idea what happened, and I sat in South End Zone. I don't remember any rub or anything that looked like it, it gave us an advantage on the route, but what did you guys did? Did anybody else get a, uh, another view? I, I just remember the telecast of this game. I have watched it over and over and I've never seen a replay of that game. Did anybody else have any recollection of what happened on that second down and goal to go pass? We did do those rub routes quite a bit that year. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it was. You know, anytime K-State runs that, it's a rub route. Anytime the other team does it, it's a pick play. So I'm I'm sure I was <laughs> hooting and hollering. Yeah, I can't say I remember the play in question. I mean, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the line right now and I see it, but I admittedly do not remember the call. Honestly, I forgot about it until I was watching the highlight and saw someone mention it in the comments section, and it kind of vaguely sounds familiar, but I don't I don't really remember enough about it to speak on it, I suppose. Yeah, uh, it's and, and again, I asked this just because it was such a a phantom play in this. And I, I actually remember after the game, 
I, I ended up going to Tanner's uh, in Aggieville and Stan Weber I actually ended up running into him there. And I, I just kind of started chatting with him about the game and what, what all he saw. And, and even he, you know, not, I guess not surprisingly, but Stan said he didn't really see what the call was. Um, and, and he too had heard that like from, from people who had texted him during the game that there weren't any, you know, they never showed a replay on ESPN. So nobody really knew what the hell happened, what Byron Pringle did. And I, and, and Clint, to your point, I know we do run those, but I, I didn't think it was any, usually it, it's pretty egregious. And you usually, even the casual fan can typically spot it. I just remember sitting in my seats and not seeing anything that looked like it, it would have warranted a penalty, but Unfortunately, it sets the Wildcats back to a second down and goal from the 18 and what ends up being the final play of the game, a Jordan Stearns interception uh, that seals it for Oklahoma State as they move to seven and two and five and one in Big 12 play. K-State falls to five and four and three and three in the uh, Big 12. So another Tough set. Go ahead. Sorry, just to interject, I pulled up the full game on YouTube, and uh, just like everyone's saying, you can't see him from the telecast, and they didn't show replay. However, we did catch the ball at the one-yard line. I believe the game probably would have been over if they did not call that flag. So I was kind of wondering that. It actually gave, because that's that comment I saw on YouTube earlier, that an Oklahoma State fan was like, oh, that bad call gave you guys another play. So, because um, we would have been short of the touchdown if that play stood and we didn't have any timeouts and there was five seconds left on the clock. So, if we would have won that game on the last play of the game, that would have been a bad call that helped us. But regardless, I don't see a penalty. Yeah, anyway. I just watched it too. You can see uh, Pringle go right into the defender with his hands up, kind of pushing him, which is normal, you know, right off the line of scrimmage. And then the next view you see is Pringle and that defender in the back of the end zone. So maybe he kind of just pushed him all the way back. Maybe. But if anything, it it actually gave us another shot at the end zone. Yeah. And again, we've talked about ample, ample opportunities in this game where again you you could have sealed it with with the nine point lead and the fourth and one that you should have probably that you should have gone for you could have you know you had the Charles Jones play where he stepped out of bounds on what should have been a touchdown uh, again you have the the late game drama where it looked like K State was going to go in for a, a you know a, a game ending touchdown the, you had every opportunity. Uh, to to win this game and, and again it just kind of slips away but th- this group it's definitely not the same feeling while uh, in talking about it it seems like we're just really reciting all uh, the same things that happened the year prior where we're talking about this team just not being able to come through and 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 letting leads slip away and all these things but again this this team clearly has the mental resolve and the wherewithal to push through those those hurdles and and to to that point, it sets K State up after a bye week here for another uh, strong finish to the season. Now uh, the Wildcats go on the road to take on Baylor. Baylor at one point in the season was six and zero and ranked in the top five, uh, and they have since cratered. Now, if you'll recall, this is also Baylor. Um, 
post Art Bryles. This is when Art Bryles was uh, unceremoniously released of his coaching duties earlier in, uh, it was actually prior to the start of the season. Um, again, we don't need to talk about all the deplorable things that the University of Baylor has done and ignored over the course of its membership in the Big 12. Um, but Jim Grove has taken over for him, former Wake Forest coach. Um, he stepped in as uh, acting head coach for the team this season, and Baylor's just kind of going through the motions as we get ready to to finish up the the home stretch of the season. Uh, K State is surprisingly a two point, two and a half point dog here. This game does have one of the more remarkable plays that you again. This is it's it's far enough in the rear view that. Average K State fans probably forgotten about this, but but Clint the the Jesse Ertz Houdini escape act on what should have been a fourth down turnover on downs lost like ten yards Jesse Ertz run that has to go down in in my mind is probably one of the more uh, certainly one of the more creative <laughs> runs of the Snyder two O era, but it has to rank up there as one of the top runs, like really out of any quarterback or running back that we saw in Snyder two O. Yeah. The biggest no, 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 no. Yes. Play probably of all time in K-State history. Um, if he would have been able to get in the end zone, I think it'd be remembered a little bit better as far as um, the plays that stand the test of time. But yeah, I I mean, what was there? Five, six Baylor players all around Jesse Ertz. And he's just like keeps backing up, backing up, backing up and just kind of shuffling to the left. And then I, I remember the announcers going, well, he's he's done for. He's trapped here. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, he's trapped again. Oh, oh, wait. No. And somehow gets past all of them on his way down into the red zone, uh, just a few yards out from the touchdown. How far backwards did he end up running? I don't think he he really got that far into the backfield. It was just kind of he was shuffling to the left the entire time. He was probably only back behind the line of scrimmage a few yards. I don't know if this was, is the best if this is the best comparison, but there was a uh, a Dante Hall punt return against the Broncos back in the day where there's a lot mm-hmm. of dancing back and forth and back and forth. It's like well, when you've got the entire defense in the backfield, when you slip by them and there's no one else in front of you, you know, it's going to be there eventually. Yeah. There definitely weren't 19 clips in that uh, that return either. <laughs> I didn't see a flag, did you? <laughs> no, I did not. Um, yeah, uh, and I think uh, we can we can all agree here that this this run by Ertz is certainly greater than the the quote unquote run that Seneca Wallace had in the year where Iowa State went seven and seven and he was supposed to win the Heisman or whatever. Uh, so I think we can all agree on that for sure. But yeah, that was a fourth down and two on the Baylor 45. At this point, K-State's offense is really they, they've moved it a little bit here, you know, gained 44 yards on one drive, gained 15 on another. But the, they, they've had a lot of chances and they've just not been able to capitalize on anything. And, and the Wildcats fortunately come through on that fourth down. Winston Dimmel uh, ends up getting the touchdown on uh, the first down and goal to go play. So the Wildcats pull level with Baylor. Again, K-State can't really get out of its own way here. Ba- Baylor is very disinterested at this point in the season, and it certainly looks it on TV as well. Um, the Wildcats 
end up fumbling the ball on their next possession, and Baylor ends up putting that into the end zone on a short field. Uh, and then K-State ends up just sitting on the ball and takes that into halftime. So K-State's down 14-7 to going into the locker room. Just a, a, a comedy of errors in that first half with with all the fumbles. And again, you're, you're one miraculous run away from potentially being down uh, to this Baylor squad by two scores. But K-State gets its head on straight, goes on an 84-yard touchdown drive to open up the second half. Defense bows up, gets the ball right back, and forces a punt. K-State goes on another 87-yard touchdown drive to take a 21-14 lead. Then they force an interception. Wildcats capitalize on the short field following the Donnie Starks pick, and they end up turning that into a touchdown. And guys, I know we talked about Alex Barnes kind of coming into the the view against Iowa State, this was really his big coming out party. Yeah, the guy's a stud. Why weren't we playing him earlier? Four touchdowns, 129 yards. I was killing it. Well, Charles Jones did have more yards per carry in this game, so. Eat a dick. (laughs) (laughs) But this game, all I remember is the Jesse Ertz run and Alex Barnes just having a day. The other thing I wanted to do when I put that poll out there about the most satisfying win, you have to remember, too, K-State's in the midst of a pretty lengthy losing streak to Baylor. Uh, Again, you got to go all the way back to that 2011 season to see the last time that the Wildcats won. So the Bears have ripped off uh, four straight in this series. So I wanted to see if any fans felt like this one was satisfying. I remember Dante Barnett tweeting after the game, that this one was several years overdue. So it was awesome to see the Wildcats come through and win this game. So uh, just kind of put a bow on things. The defense really just forces it, it just starts wrecking things. Zach Smith is turning the ball over left and right. K-State's forcing all these interceptions. And uh, the Wildcats stretch that lead out uh, from uh, 28-14. They push it up to 42-21 to following the Dante Bar- the aforementioned Dante Barnett uh, getting the INT, setting up K-State with a short field. And the Wildcats punch in uh, their final touchdown of the day, another Alex Barnes run of nine yards. And the Wildcats walk out of Waco with a 42-21 to win to claim victory number six on the season so bowl eligibility once again so seven consecutive years now that the wildcats will be in the postseason and you know the following week that you're going to get number seven as the kansas jayhawks come to town um i don't remember much about this game uh clint though there was a pretty one of the the many jesse Ertz stiff arms he he did it a couple of times this season but the one he had in this game just oh i i always remember that one sticking out very vividly in my mind yeah i had kind of thought he had done it throughout the entire season but as i was preparing for this looking down the schedule they were all kind of contained to the last several games of the year uh i think this is the first one there might have been another one that i'm missing but i think the three big ones were in the last three games uh yeah that jesse Ertz stiff arm was pretty impressive until you saw the next two that I think uh, topped this first one. The the play that I really remember for this game is the diving Alex Barnes uh, touchdown. That was the play that really cemented him uh, going forward, thinking that he was going to be a star. 
yeah, sensational leap. Like it felt like the guy just flew in the air for like six or seven yards <laughs> from where he launched and where he landed. It was crazy to see. So Alex, that was one of the awesome things to finally see that it seems like we're, we're done playing the politics and the person and just doing this personnel run around and Alex Barnes has really kind of cemented himself now as as RB number one uh, as he gets a lion's share of the carries ends up running for 103 yards on just 10 carries Jesse Ertz comes up just shy of 100 yards himself 99 yards on 12 totes now um KU's got a player by the name of Mike Lee, who I am not too fond of, but he ends up taking out uh, Ertz in this game. But even so, K-State's able to stretch a 20-3 halftime lead and make it 27-3 early on in the third quarter. Uh, KU gets... they. They never really get within striking distance. After it's 27 to three, the Wildcats give up a 95-yard touchdown pass that really just kind of keeps KU just in hang-around mode. Uh, a couple of late scores make it look closer, but the Wildcats are 34 to 19 victors over the Jayhawks. Uh, they are plus two on turnovers on today. Uh, Elijah Lee gets a nice interception in this game. Donnie Starks has a pick six. Uh, again, no, never really ever in doubt. K-State owns the state once again. They moved to 7-4 on the year. KU falls to 2-10 and and 1-8 and in Big 12 play. So we get ready to wrap things up in Fort Worth on a rainy, dreary-ass day against a TCU squad that doesn't really look like it's all that interested to finish out this season. Uh, this is post-Travon Boykin, so things have changed quite a bit for the frogs from where things were just a couple seasons ago when they were in uh, playoff contention this TCU team ends up finishing just six and six on the year um, but k-state very motivated looking to get to that eight win mark on the season and uh, Jesse Ertz carves up TCU both through the air and on the ground throws for 159 yards and a touchdown but runs for a buck 70 and one TD and this uh, this game has one of the the more entertaining plays. We talked about that that shrug that that, that stiff arm that Ertz throws to give K State a ten to three lead. Probably one of the sickest runs you'll ever see, and really just remarkable body control. Like Jesse Ertz is not the most um, fleet of foot. Let's say uh, it, I guess it doesn't look like it's all that natural for him. Like. It looks taxing, to, and it is, obviously, to shrug off guys the way that he does, but he doesn't do it very fluidly, but he's able to, he keeps his footing about him, and he's always very composed when he's carrying the ball, and that was one of my favorite runs of the season. Later on in this game, we have a nice, uh, a little uh, short end to Byron Pringle that he had up exploding and taking 83 yards for a touchdown. The game is still kind of in doubt at that point. It's only 10 to six, and this is early on in the third quarter. Uh, but that really stretches things for K-State as they go up 17 to six and ultimately end up pulling away in this one. Um, do you guys have any other memories from this game, both either watching or outside of that? <laughs> Really, yeah. as far as 24-point wins go, it was pretty blah, you know, all things considered. 
I seem to remember Justin Silman had a pretty sick run down near the goal line. Clint, I think I might have cut you off. So I'll <laughs> let you take it from there, man. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, for as good as Alex Barnes was the last couple weeks, I think he you were talking about Lee for KU. I think he actually delivered a headshot to him. And uh, so I'm looking at the box score. It doesn't look like he played at all this game. Um, uh, yeah, Justin Silman, I mean, this is the game that made me fall in love with him. That guy just plowed through two, three, four guys on his way to that touchdown that Nutter was just talking about. Then he ended up having a second one where he just puts his head right into the defender's chest and drives him into the end zone. Clint, for uh, Alex Barnes, I was just watching the KU highlighted a minute ago, and I remembered at the end of the near the end of the game we were running a like a QB sneak on the goal line, and Barnes got hurt and like sat on the ground and pulled his helmet off, and I don't know he was like pointing to his neck, so. Because I, w- I was, I kind of didn't remember that until I saw that. And then, because I, I, it was just odd seeing a guy sitting there while the scrum is happening to score a touchdown and he's sitting there with his helmet off. Like, so that, you know, probably why he didn't play. I don't know if it was because uh, of old Mike Lee or not. But yeah, I, I definitely remember them going back and forth for the next several years. You know, yeah. K State football rivalry hasn't been great, but just I remember those two players had quite the rivalry. Just right. um, by themselves. Yeah, just you mentioning Barnes not really getting any carries in this game. I just literally just saw that highlight and then reminded me that uh, of, of that injury just because it was an odd scene. Again, Mike Lee can eat a giant bag of D's and he is 0-4 <laughs> lifetime against Kansas State. So enjoy that, pal. Um, so K-State. 30 to six winners in this contest over TCU. The Wildcats uh, close out the year the same way they did in 2015, a three game winning streak. Uh, They outscore those three opponents, 106 to 46. So the Wildcats really starting to flex as we uh, close out the campaign. And I'll I'll ask you guys uh, before bowls are doled out here. I'm pretty happy with the way that this season unfolded. I, I was even before the game against Texas A&M. I, I was very encouraged because this team looks so much more complete, really come together in a very nice way, uh, particularly to close out the year. You win five out of six. And I, I'm feeling this has got me really excited, too. And I know we'll touch on this before we wrap things up, but. There, there are not a lot of seniors on this team. So this has gotten me really excited for 2017. And are, are you guys feeling that that same? Yeah, 2017 seemed like the year that it was all going to come together and have another uh, 2011, 2012 type of run. Yeah, I normally wanted to temper expectations, but mine were like worryingly high going into that 17 season. Yeah, there was a lot of, uh, you know, Big 12 championship aspirations for that year. And I mean, I don't know if that was completely unfounded if we were healthy in 2017. But, you know, we dropped a game we shouldn't have before we were not healthy. So a lot of anticipation with this group heading into not just bowl season, but obviously the offseason, the Wildcats are awarded a slot in the Texas Bowl against former Big 12 foe and forever heartbreaker 
Texas A&M. And if you will recall, this is an A&M team that is led by Trevor Knight, former Big 12 quarterback who ended up grad transferring to play for uh, Kevin Sumlin this year. So, um, and there's some there's some nice pieces on this A&M squad as well. Uh, and I'll say this much, like, again, and this is very apropos with the way that, you know, ESPN is destroying everything in college football and everything that we've ever come to know and love. But I, I wanted to get this one, like a lot of the bowl games that we played, like I wanted UCLA, you, you know, you always want to win, but this is when I was like, I really want to get these assholes on ESPN. And I mean, this game is played in Houston. It's a, it, that's a very easy drive from college station. You know, you were going to be drastically outnumbered by Aggie fans. I really wanted to get this game, and I'll ask you guys: Where, if you had to rate your desire <laughs> for a, for a win, where did this one fall for you in terms of bowl games? You definitely want to win the Fiesta Bowl first. Yes. Uh, beating Michigan was really nice, but you know they weren't one of the classic Michigan teams, so I, I would say this ranks number two for me. Yeah, we don't have any history with Michigan. Um, not like we have a super extensive history with A&M, but, you know, we have a brief but sweet slash painful history with them. And I didn't even give a shit that this was the Texas Bowl, because I know, you you know, a lot of years it's like not considered a great bowl game. But if you get a matchup like this, I was pretty excited and pretty pumped to play them. Yeah, when you get off those first couple tiers of bowl games, it's always such a crapshoot. And it's funny to think that, you know, this is the same Texas Bowl we play in, you know, not that long before. And we're limping in at, you know, seven and five and playing a Rutgers team that had no business being in that game. So all that to be said, you know, it's two pretty evenly matched opponents. Them being a Big 12 defector, you definitely want this one. I will say um, I knew it was coming and I, you know, so I, I was prepared for it, but like, the whole game, I was dreading that freaking highlight they were going to show from St. Louis. And sure as hell, you know, it popped up on the screen and I turned around and said, someone tell me when it's over. But all that to be said, this was definitely a bowl game I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. We win and we're Texas State champs, baby. Let the T-shirts <laughs> be made. Oh, damn it, Clint. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we do not need more of those. Um, you only get that yes. shirt. You, you can only make that shirt one time. So th- this is a, a particularly fun game uh, played at NRG Stadium in, in Houston, as I mentioned. Now, uh, A&M does strike first, but K-State comes back on its ensuing possession. Uh, Byron Pringle, uh, th- and he, you know, again, the week prior, or not the week, but the game prior against TCU, he's got the long catch and run for the touchdown. We've started to see him make a couple more plays in the passing game. Uh, this, I, I won't say is a coming out party, but I think this, that particular play showed you a glimpse of something you thought as you started projecting for 2017, you're like, okay, I, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit excited about the relationship these two are developing. I will say this till the day I die. This was the prettiest pass execution wise, placement wise. It was gorgeous. There was nothing wrong with this play. Jesse Ertz, like a freaking pro, takes snap, 
eyes move the safety over just a little bit, comes back the other way to the near sideline, drops it in the bucket between and splits safety and and cornerback. I don't know how you guys feel, but I I will say this will go down as the prettiest touchdown pass of Snyder 2.0. And the thing that I like about this throw a lot is it's not really, um, it's not, really a teardrop kind of where you just put enough air under it and let the receiver make the adjustments it had to be on the money because it got there quick so just a beautiful throw yeah when you have a receiver streaking on the sideline a dart isn't usually the type of throw that you put in there but you know that there was enough room with the safety away like jeff said he kind of moved the safety with his eyes that he could fit it right in there and that's definitely what I think of as the quintessential Jesse Ertz play outside of the stiff arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we get into the dog days of summer and I'm gone on those highlight benders, that's definitely a play I fall back to pretty often. It's definitely a fun one to watch. Right. And like, you know, uh, Clint, would you agree? I Most deep balls that are like right on the money, you're like, that's a really good throw. However, if you just look at the receiver, they – have plenty of time to make the adjustment on the ball to speed up or slow down to make it look like it's right on the money. Uh, so just if you play enough football and receiver, you kind of know that, but that one was just boom on a line perfectly right in his, right in his arms. Yeah. And if you don't have to slow down at all, then obviously you're catching it in stride and the defender just has zero shot to catch up to you, especially when you're athletic as Byron Pringle is. It's also nice as a K state fan to, uh, you know, actually see our players have speed and outrunning the other team for once so that that was also nice and it yeah especially happens. when you're not like a five foot eight guy you're an actual six foot one yeah. athletic <laughs> built wide receiver right an exceptional connection between those two to pull k-state level at seven to seven uh and then the the wildcats i, I mean they really took control in this game uh, and I, I know A&M de- they get a touchdown run and they biff the PAT so it's 13 to 7 K-State A&M does score and go up by one but K-State comes right back on the next possession to kick a field goal to take the lead and, and then we have a nice touchdown run uh, by Dominic Keith uh, and, and again this is what you just love to be able to say when you know you're playing an SEC team with SEC athletes and SEC speed and K-State is is really showcasing the fact that we've got some big-time playmakers on this particular team. And again, Dominique Keith, uh, not normally a guy who's going to burn teams, but he took this one around the edge and, and got to the corner in a hurry. And, and that lead pushed, and that touchdown pushed the lead out to 23 to 14, going into the locker room. And and K-State would never uh, relinquish this lead. The Wildcats. Uh, while it is a little bit stressful in the second half, uh, ultimately uh, pushed this one out to 33-21. to 21. Jesse Ertz uh, has a touchdown run uh, early on in the fourth quarter. Now, I, I remember Winston Demel, uh, again, who I, who I love and adore more than any other fullback in the history of Kansas State football. I remember a, a lead play uh, design quarterback run uh, where Ertz held it for a hot second and then let Dimmel get out in front of him. And I remember Dimmel just barreling down like the, the, the seams heading into the end zone and is just 
crushing A&M defenders and leaving them in his wake. It was one of the more entertaining runs that I saw. They, the A&M defenders ultimately end up stopping or short of the goal line, but that he is just trucking over fools. I, I love that play so much. That set up Ertz for his one-yard touchdown keeper to make it 33-21. to 21. Um, Did you guys ever feel that this one was in doubt? I, I honestly, like, again, I felt K-State was the better team pretty much start to finish in this one. No, it was definitely ours to lose, but, and you know, and I don't, don't mean to go there, but we've lost games just like this several <laughs> times over the last couple of years. So, you know, I mean, as long as we take care of business, no, it's absolutely ours to lose. And fortunately the defense made a couple of clutch plays late. So yeah, I mean, definitely good to have one of these bounce our way. Yeah, and uh, one of the big keys to this game was holding Miles Garrett in check. He's, you can't say enough good things about um, freshman Scott France um, allowing Miles Garrett to have just one tackle, no tackles for loss or sacks on the day. And K-State has a history of going up against really good defensive ends like Terrell Suggs and a number of other guys who made life really hard for K-State. So taking Garrett completely out of the game was a huge part of this victory. I will uh, another say I'm not normally one to to complain about announcing, but the the broadcast crew just would not shut the hell up about Miles Garrett that game, which I thought was inter- interesting considering he's playing in, you know, a pretty low stakes bowl game, knowing full well he's probably going to be the number one pick. How invested is, how invested in this game is he really? But found it interesting, you know, it, the, the play that I remember in particular was the, uh, the end around touchdown to Heath. You know, literally as the ball is snapped, the announcer goes, all eyes on Garrett, and then, like, never even says Heath's name on the touchdown run. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's funny you mentioned Garrett because that's it's all I seem to remember them talking about that entire night. Just at least a... he was playing in the game because it's better than when Josh Rosen wasn't playing in, that's fair. That's in fair. a bowl game, and they still talked about him the whole game. <laughs> No, Clint, it's great that you bring that up. Uh, that that was one of the talking points that I feel like that didn't get a nearly as much run and attention as it should. Just, again, I, I understand the game has changed quite a bit now that guys who are in his position where you know you're going to be one of the top, you know, if you're going to be a first-day guy or even a second-day guy and you want to make sure you get that money, I, I, I understand that element of it. I understand, especially... You know, you got a couple of eight and four teams. Why, why not sit out the bowl game? Because you're, you're just risking potentially losing millions of dollars. And this, you, you as a football player, have there's a there's a shelf life to, to, to playing the sport and playing it at a high level. I get that, but I, I do think the fact that Garrett was playing, how invested was he? Who's to say? But I, I think K State's defense, though, or excuse me, K State's offensive line, France, and also. Um, like the occasional double team that might have happened, they they did a terrific job in just neutralizing him. You you, if it was actually based on contributions to the defense, you wouldn't have ever heard his name. But again, the the crew was so enamored with with him and what he was doing, and and I I understand that too. Like you have to because when you scheme, you're going to scheme around guys. And I understand that some guy, you're going to run away from guys. You're going to, and there's a lot of things that go into that, but K-State was able to do really whatever it wanted to do. Jesse Ertz hit 70% of his 20 attempts for almost 200 yards, uh, had a touchdown, no picks. The Wildcats 
uh, ran the ball very effectively. Justin Sillman, again, after having a huge day against TCU as another nice outing uh, against another Texas squad, he goes for 77 yards in this game. Like the Wildcats really did, again, like I said, pretty much whatever they wanted, extremely balanced, 218 on the ground, 195 through the air. Uh, defensively for K-State, just plays being made by dudes abound, like Elijah Lee, 12 tackles in this game. Uh, Kendall Adams has a nice INT for the Wildcats. Um, the aforementioned DJ Reed, we've talked a bunch about him, and, and, and guys like Dante Barnett, nice way for him to cap off his career in, in a K-State uniform. Uh, just good to see dudes making contributions in the final game of the season. Again, A&M does have the ball. I, I, I will say I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. A&M does have the ball with an opportunity late in the contest to potentially get a not only a touchdown, but the thing that was creeping into my mind, it was 33 to 28. A&M has the ball, and I'm thinking to myself as they're driving down the field on that final uh, possession, like, oh my God, are you freaking kidding me? Because the score of 36 to 33 is somehow on the table in this game. How the hell does that happen? Um, but fortunately, K-State's defense bows up on that final possession of the contest. They keep AM out of the end zone. They're able to kill clock and salt away this game and pick up a bull win, a bull win, a, 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 the the mysterious and elusive creature that is the bull win for Bill Snyder. They are able to pick that up. 33 to 28 is the final in this contest. The Wildcats finished the season nine and four. Uh, a thing that's very hard to believe. This is now the fifth straight win over Texas A&M. Another very hard stat to believe, but um, you can trace that all the way back to Josh Freeman's final uh, his final game against the Aggies all the way back in 2008. The Wildcats have won five straight against the Aggies. So a great way to end a very fun and entertaining season. Um, before we'll talk about a couple of superlatives here as we get ready to wrap this one up. Uh, before we do that, a couple things I'll touch on here quickly. We put the uh, those two Twitter polls out there. Thank you all who uh, who voted in those polls. Um, we'll start off with the the fun one. Uh, I like. We asked which game was the most satisfying, the most gratifying win of the 2016 season, and it was very close, uh, and I'm almost surprisingly so. But uh, 47% of you who voted said the win over A&M in the bowl game. So don't tell me the bowls don't matter. Come on, guys. Um, uh, so 47% say A&M uh, the win over A&M in the Texas Bowl. Uh, surprisingly, 40%. Uh, for the uh, win over Texas um, and only commanding 1.8% of that vote. Nutter, we talked about it, kind of a shocker here. The win over Tech, I know the, the, the quality of the opponent at the end of the year, it might not look great, but damn, I was surprised that one didn't get a little bit more traction. Yeah, I wonder if there's a little recency bias with people being a little pissed at Texas right now, too. <laughs> yeah, Probably a factor. Probably a factor. Now, um, this will segue into our other poll, the sad poll that I put out there, was uh, which game was the most frustrating? And again, lots of candidates for lots of different reasons. Um, and again, this is another one that's kind of surprising to me as well, that West Virginia with 60%, just 60.6% of the 104 votes, 
uh, is the winner in that particular poll. I, I know I touched on it a little bit. Like that game to me was not nearly as frustrating as Oklahoma State. I don't know why, but I just always felt like the Oklahoma State game was far more infuriating. Well, it might have something to do with the fact that Oklahoma State games are always incredibly close. And almost never in our favor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, right. uh, and the other thing too, this w- that that game kind of broke the streak of we go, you know, they come to Manhattan and we dump them. Then we go to Stillwater and get our nuts, in, you know, and have a huge kick in the nuts game where we blow a lead or whatever it is. You know, you think back, we had a 10 point lead in the 2011 game. We had um, a late, I think, uh, up by his, uh, it was a six point uh, lead in the fourth quarter in 2013. You had a 15 point lead in 2015. You had all those games where at one point or another, K-State had a lead and in some cases a multiple score lead and you let those all slip away. But whenever Oklahoma State would come to Manhattan, we'd beat the shit out of them. So that, that game broke the cycle there. That's why, I, again, that was a reason why I was more frustrated with the Oklahoma State loss. Now, I'll ask um, the group here if there is one play that you could change in this whole season, um, what play would that be? The fourth and inches at midfield against Oklahoma State, no question. I think I've made my I think I've made my opinion pretty clear on that. Yeah, I mean that that's a perfectly fine one to pick. I. I would just pick um, Matthew McCrane hitting the field goal and winning the game. I think that's just more of an outright, yeah, hit that, yeah. we're done. Game over. Yeah, I yeah. got you. And, Jeff, I think part of the reason the West Virginia game – granted, reliving the Oklahoma State game, I'm getting pissed all over again because I <laughs> my memory must have just blocked out most of that game. But the West Virginia game, like, we hadn't lost to them – it was a chance to beat them starting conference play on the road, winning on the road, all that, and then, you know, missing the field goal. So I'll let Clint have that answer. Mine will be the uh, the Mike Moore return in the Stanford game. I'd like to see how that game ends, if that's a touchdown right there. Bring it to a, a touchdown game in the, what, early second or uh, early third quarter, I think it was, or plenty of time for that to be a game if, if we score a touchdown there. Yeah. And, and the reason I, I tend to stray away from the West Virginia game. If, if McCrane makes that field goal, there's still two minutes left. And this is coming on the heels of you giving up two touchdowns to West, you know, back-to-back touchdowns to West Virginia. I don't know if I feel all that great about the defense. Again, they they did a lot that day to ask them to go out there and get one more stop in crunch time. I I don't know if I feel like I want to chance that with the way that West Virginia had kind of come to life in the fourth quarter. Uh, Again, to me, Nutter, I'm with you. It it is hands down fourth and inches against Oklahoma State where you can – continue to salt away the game and, and and potentially go up by as many as, you know, if you get a touchdown on that drive, you push it out to 16. If you know, maybe you go for two, whatever. Yeah. We all know what happens when K-State goes for two, but there's a lot of things that could have happened had K-State gone for that fourth and short the way that they should have. That's, that's always been my, my big gripe about this particular season, but Regardless, it is a fun one. Now, these last few episodes, we've been talking about uh, 
seniors at this stage in the in the show and we really don't have too many guys to honor with the exception i will say however of a couple of stalwarts on defense uh namely jordan willis your big 12 defensive player of the year i I feel horrible about the fact that this is really the time that i'm feel like i'm first mentioning him uh but it's honestly very appropriate just with the way that Jordan Willis's career kind of unfolded. Uh, you want to talk about a guy who was just very soft-spoken and a very much a lead-by-example uh, player, but that was him to a T. Uh, he ends up, like I said, is the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year in the conference, has 17.5 tackles for loss, 11.5 sacks. Again, we talk about how Miles Garrett's a guy that you have to scheme around uh, on the defensive side, Jordan Willis was very much that guy for Kansas state. And I would like to ask Clint where he feels like he ranks. I I certainly, I think he's the top defensive end of Snyder 2.0, unless you feel like there's another candidate. No, he's definitely number one for 2.0. I remember, I I think this was fairly early in the uh, PFF days, or at least fairly early in the days that I knew about them. Um, if you don't know about PFF, they just keep all the like little stats you can possibly keep. It's kind of debatable about how accurate they are. But I remember hearing that he had something like 80 pressures on the year, uh, quarterback pressures, which just seems like an insane number. I think he either led the nation or at least led the Big 12 in that number. I mean, he, he, he tied the record for most quarterback sacks. And uh, obviously, he was getting after the quarterback constantly that year. Um, as far as um, just all-time K-State, I think I've said at one point in the pod that I rank him number two behind Darren Howard. I was watching some Niall Wyron highlights the other day, and I was like, oh, gosh, he might be number two for me. So um, Jordan is definitely number one in the 2.0 era, and either number two or number three, I think, all-time as far as defensive ends. Clint and Alex, I'll, uh, uh, excuse me, Alex and Justin, I'll ask you to, um, and th- this is very hard for me to even ask, but like, what's your most memorable Willis moment? Just because, again, he was one of those guys I felt like y- you could just rely on him to do whatever you <laughs> needed him to do. He he could set the edge. He could bull rush up the field. He was always very gap sound, like. I don't know if you have a particular Jordan Willis play that stands out, but I, I thought I would ask you guys to see if you have any standout moments that are popping up. I can't say I remember him being super flashy. I mean, like, you know, like Clint, you just kind of alluded to, you know, he was going to live in the backfield, but it was never, you know, there's no Meshack William type play where he's blowing up the whole backfield at once or anything like that. You know, it seems like a lot of those other guys like Meshack or Ryan Mueller have that kind of signature play to kind of cap off their career. Willis was just kind of good all the time, but I don't remember like a real big firework play or anything like that. Yeah, I'm sure if I watched a highlight just of Jordan Willis, it would bring back a lot of memories of big plays he had, but I just can't think of anything that sticks out off the top of my head of just other than just him being, you know, just very solid and making making all the plays he needs to make. Yeah. Uh, again, that's like I said, I asked that question. I'm like, I, I can't for a guy that had, you know, 17 and a half tackle for loss and 11 and a half sacks. I, I, I don't remember any one like and usually when DNs make big sacks like that, you know, you, you get 
you always think about guys teeing off on third downs or, you know, big game swinging type plays. And, and Willis was, again, just that that wasn't really his type of game. And he, he again, was just a very reliable, sound weapon. Um, I know he's been in the news for some not so great things here lately, but even so, uh, Willis was a, a terrific defensive end to watch. Again, if you're a student of the game, you're, you're certainly one who can appreciate the type of player that he was. Um, also, uh, another senior, Mike Moore, uh, again, after the, the medical issues that he had early on in, in his career, certainly just very grateful that he was even able to play at all at Kansas State, and it was awesome to see him contribute the way uh, that he did. I, I don't know if, you know, if we were to rank linebackers, I don't know where exactly he falls. Um, Clint, I don't know if you have a thought on that. Uh, well, but... let, let me check out my rankings here. <laughs> let me All check right. one of my 19 right. spreadsheets that I always have handy on me. Yeah, that's exactly what I got here. I'm a hard, oh, oh, it's a point. Point. Okay, Look at that. here's what I got for 2.0 linebackers. We got number one, we got Arthur Brown. I think that's not really debatable at all. Number two, I got Elijah Lee. Uh, number four, I got Emmanuel Lemur. And there's Tremichael Will Moore. So basically the guys who made it in the NFL and then Tremichael Will Moore. <laughs> Did have a cup of coffee, cup of coffee in the NFL, but uh, he, he got injured his first year and didn't get much of a chance after that, I don't think. And... You always kind of wonder with the way, especially this, his final two seasons, once he finally got healthy and recovered and whatnot, uh, has 55 tackles. His junior season, has senior season, uh, gets up to 72 tackles, four tackles for loss. Um, again, just a, a great story, and I, I don't want to go divulging all of the, the 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 medical details. You can find it if you want to Google his, his personal medical history, but... Um, uh, he was just a guy that that's one of your those guys that you're always just happy to see him come through. And he played at a very high level uh, for this team. He was honorable mention all big 12 this year. But like I said, just a great, uh, great story to see him come through and finish his career at K-State the way that he did. Now, we've we've kind of talked about it here. There really aren't other seniors outside of uh, him. Uh, if you want to go offensively, we could talk a little bit about Charles Jones, um, which we've, we've already spent a, a fair amount of time I, talking I'll say about Charles Jones is, you know, it's, he, he showed up to practice and played on the team for, what was he a three-year play? I don't know, but it's not his fault. The coaches are putting him in there when we think that there's better, you know, he, he was a decent player, and he worked his ass off to be a good football player. So props to him, even if we disagreed with the depth chart. Dante Barnett was another uh, senior for defense. No, no one wants to agree with me about. Nope. <laughs> no, no, right I don't have your back on that one, man. <laughs> All right, whatever. Uh, I, I will say about CJ, man, like. I'm stunned looking at his career numbers, just under 1,800 his, or over 1,800 rushing yards. His yards per carry is kind of mind-blowing, actually. Yeah, his yeah, stats look pretty good. I, I don't want to take anything away from the guy. I mean, he got those yards. He played behind a pretty good offensive line. 
he he was kind he God, I don't want to give him too much credit and I don't want to take too much away from him. <laughs> he, he was a he was a hard runner when he hit the hole. Um he he knew how to, you know, I don't know. He he wasn't that good. He was okay. <laughs> He'd be more fondly remembered as a, you know, all of our running backs are hurt and this, you know, he's going in there and doing okay. Or, you know, he's our third string back that gets a few carries and, you know, might bust off a run here and there. But yeah, I disagree with the the handling of the running back depth chart, but I'm not going to fault a guy who, you know, he's not going to say, no, don't play me. He's going to, he's going to go out there and get his carries. Yeah, I'm not mad at <laughs> Charles Jones. I mean, I'm I'm glad he came to K State. He, he 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 made some plays. He helped out the team. Um, I mean, he was in there for a reason. He he was probably a great practice player, a great teammate, a great leader. Agreed. Uh, I wish I had another backhanded compliment to throw in, but I think you guys got them all. <laughs> <laughs> no, he. Uh, I, I think. <laughs> I think every K State fan would say the same thing. Just pick your, put your foot in the ground and go. Don't dance because again, it's kind of remarkable that he averaged, you know, just under five yards per carry. When so many of us just remember all the dancing and all the lost yardage and everything that he did. But again, I don't want to spend too much time trashing CJ. We've we've talked enough about it at this point. You know, again, appreciate all the contributions that he made. Um, now let's, let's pivot and, and kind of talk about some of those other guys. You mentioned Dante Barnett, Clint, uh, thank you for catching that one. Uh, I almost <laughs> a glaring omission on my part there. Um, we, we talk about leaders and he was absolutely one of those and very, it was awesome to see him come back and, and put a bow on his career uh, the way that he did uh, ends up with 67 stops. His senior season has 242 career tackles, eight interceptions, only has one INT his senior campaign, but it's that big one against Baylor that pretty much put the nail in the coffin. And I know very, very poetic the way that that happened with him being thrust into the fire against Baylor his freshman year way back in 2012 and having the chance to seal the deal against the Bears a couple of years later. That was kind of an awesome way for him to end his his career. Yeah, it was great to see him, you know, take over for Ty Zimmerman as the quarterback of the defense, and he really filled that role nicely. And, you know, when he was gone in 2015, I mean, that was – you could tell just how badly he was missed. It was very similar to seeing Ty Zimmerman gone in that Baylor game. And, uh, you know, he he didn't uh, stick around in the NFL, but he got some playing time in the preseason with the Broncos. I remember him making a couple big hits. I I wish I could remember. It was some star receiver that he hit in midair, and I remember that team was pretty upset with him, but I just was like, yeah, Dante, way to go. No easy buckets, man. <laughs> so D, uh, Dante Barnett, again, closes out his career at K-State. And then um, one other guy, <laughs> I feel like there's kind of a recurring theme with all of the defensive guys that we're talking about, like really awesome leaders, great locker room guys, great contributions, great stories. And all of our offensive guys that we're talking about are frustrating. Um, Deontay Burton. Uh <laughs> Uh, Manhattan high guy 
didn't really progress. I think the way a lot of us want would have hoped for him to, because um, he, if you think back, he was really starting to get some snaps uh, pretty early in his career. If you think back to the 2014 season, I know that was the Curry Sexton and Tyler Lockett show, but we were starting to see him kind of emerge as option number three, or at least having the opportunity to show up as option number three. Um, he, he never really took control of that role, and he always was just kind of a nice ancillary piece in the passing game. Uh, but his senior season, again, he does have the, the nice touchdown catch against Iowa State, racks up 404 yards his senior year, has over a thousand, just over a thousand for his career. Um, what are the group's thoughts on Deontay Burton? He had a number of nice catches. Uh, he had, I think it was against Texas that he had a very similar one, uh, to the, uh, Iowa or was it West Virginia? Um, yeah, he just had a problem with, uh, consistently pulling down the easier catches that he, that, a you know, a really good receiver should be making. You know, it's funny that he is been a uh, long tenured cornerback in the NFL now after he made the position switch because I actually had a coworker um, kind of early in his career who uh, told me a story about playing in the Kansas Shrine Bowl with him as uh, high school seniors and said that he tore it up as a cornerback and was just kind of so-so as a receiver in these practices and wondered why he wasn't playing cornerback at, uh, in college and you know you see him doing pretty well in the NFL you know, you always kind of wonder what could have been if he would have uh, been on the defensive side. Yeah, I've wondered that too. Was it was he kind of victim of circumstance? Like, I don't remember what our receiver depth. Like, I mean, were, were we just in need of bodies at that particular time? Or I think in um, 2015 we were really, really thin. Like, uh, I'm, that's just my opinion. But we we were pretty lean <laughs> in that position group, and we. We probably needed him there much more so than we needed somebody in the secondary. Uh, but the se- but again, the secondary got hit pretty hard with McDaniel, with um, um, Dante Barnett going out in 2015. I, I know I, I want to say that Donnie Starks or Nate Jackson, one of those two, was kind of in and out of the lineup with injuries too. So there was really, you know, you could have theoretically put him e- either place. We needed a body, but I think he was probably much more so needed in the receiver room because we just really, beyond him, there was a whole lot of nothing in the receiver core in 15. Yeah, it's it's just crazy to think that if you looked at this roster and, you know, asked me today which of these guys would be on an NFL roster in 2021, never in my wildest dreams would I say, Deontay Burton. So, I mean, it's obviously awesome for him that he was able to put it together like he has. And I think this is as good a time as any to kind of wrap this one up just very briefly. I know we talked about seniors, but K-State has a number of first team all Big 12 selections. And they, again, I think this just kind of sets us up for the excitement that is uh, to come in the 2017 season. Uh, Winston Dimmel, not surprisingly, first team all Big 12 at fullback as a sophomore. Uh, Dalton Reisner, first team all Big 12 at center. He too is a sophomore. Byron Pringle uh, was a sophomore as well. He was first team all Big 12 as a return man on the defensive side. Again, K State with a guy at every level. Jordan Willis, your uh, D 
defensive player of the year in the conference, not surprisingly, and as he should be, first team all big 12 on the defensive line. Elijah Lee, first team all big 12 at linebacker. DJ Reed in the secondary defensive newcomer of the year in the conference. He is first team all big 12 as a sophomore. So again, we're we're really painting the picture here that there this group of underclassmen really set the tone for K-State throughout the season. And I think everybody was very, very jacked and expectations were not surprisingly high going into the 2016 campaign or excuse me, the 2017 campaign. But we will save that for the next episode. So if you have stuck with us this long, thank you so much. Do give us a review on Apple Podcast if you have a few moments. Again, we're all blue chips here, so blue chips get five stars. Keep that in mind. Uh, if you haven't already, give us a follow on Twitter. It is college underscore Kimball. Again, you will find each of our individual Twitter handles linked out on that page. So do give us a shout if you have anything, any thoughts on any of these episodes. Please let us know. We're, we're more than happy to engage with you, the K-State football fans, uh, while we can. So go ahead and give us a holler. And with all that said, we'll close it out as we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. The Cats, 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 the